He comes straight up to me, and the first thing he does is grabs me and jacks me up. So, of course, like my goes up onto the stove. I'm trying to figure out what, like, what the hell's going on, and he's like, I'm going to kill you. And then I told him, I was like, dude, if you don't get off me, I'm going to shoot you. He's holding me with his left. He's swinging with his right. He kind of like clips my chin so he doesn't hit it fully. So at that point, I step back into the corner, literally in a corner, and he's already coming back at me, and I pulled out, and I shot. I thought it was twice. Turns out it was three times. I didn't learn that until later. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am going to be interviewing Chip Williamson. He runs a a, a YouTube channel called uh, Crime and Entertainment. Chip has a crime story, so check this out. So the well, I mean, obviously, you know, I know you because you interviewed me on your on Crime and Entertainment. Correct. And you started that like how long? Like, uh, like probably year and like a, half. a year and a half, two years ago. I don't remember the exact date on the YouTube because we were doing some audio only before that, but I'd say roughly two years ago. So, um, and, th- and that started because of you getting arrested mm-hmm. for the charge was was murder, right? It was murder and possession of weapon during a violent crime. Yes, sir. Okay. So, I mean, I'll. Um, I mean, we we'll get into that, but I mean, let me let me start with like basically like the just at the beginning. Yeah. Where so where we where you were born? Like, um, I grew up in a town called Darlington, South Carolina, which is really known for not a lot, but the racetrack. Right. Um, that's about all there is there uh, to do anything, any sort of nightlife or anything like that. You had to go to a neighboring town, Florence. Um, and I grew up there, went to school there all the way up through graduation, went to technical college to be a welder, uh, got my first, I worked in radio for a little bit during that time. And then I got my first welding job. And then not long after that, I met my wife or soon to be wife. Uh, we met there. She had a daughter when we met, where'd you meet her? It was actually at a club in uh, Florence. It was, uh, I remember like people older than me. I always hung out with people older than me. And they used to tell me this club called Murphy's that everyone would go to. Well, when I was on the cut, I was like 17 and some change, so not technically legal to be able to get into it, but, you know, almost there. The club had burnt down. So when it got rebuilt, like just the hype with this club was unbelievable that everybody, you know, was coming back up. And so we went, or I've been going every weekend since it opened. Well, she was from about 45 minutes out of town, but – you know, even up there, they knew that this club was supposed to be, you know, really cool. They re- remodeled a lot. And the weird thing was, like, the first week we was there, um, a classmate of mine seen her outside. One of the girlfriends that she come down with couldn't get in. And so they were having issues at the door. And my wife had her ID, so she's just standing there kind of waiting for us to play out. And she struck up a conversation with my classmate. So they wound up not even getting in that week. The following week, they come back in. She recognized the girl from the week before and is having a conversation with her. Well, me knowing the classmate, I'm like, who the hell is she talking to? Like, this girl's beautiful. Right. And so I waited till they separate, and I come straight up to her. I'm like, all right, who was that? And she's like, oh, that's my friend Felicia. She says she thinks you were cute. And I'm just like, that's all I need to know. So, right. you know, went over there and run a little game. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. But that uh, spawned our relationship. We were together for... About, I think, seven or eight years. Then we got engaged. We got engaged quickly, but we got married after about seven or eight years. Uh, she had a daughter when we met that was three years old, so I've raised her now. She's 22 now. 
And then we wound up having a son who's now 13. Okay. How, so where'd you, where'd you end up living? I mean, we stayed there, um, for the most part until 2010. And, um, at that point I was working for a company called Nucor Steel and it's a pretty big steel company. They're one of the biggest in the world. And I was working at a division in Columbia, which was about an hour and a half drive, but it was straight nights. I like just night shift. There was no swing shift. It was just straight nights. And I hated it, especially after I had my son. Like it was just, I was gone all the time. And even when you're home, you're just tired because you've been up all night, you know, and it was just not what something I really wanted to continue with the career, but I didn't want to leave the company. And then they had an opportunity for uh, the same company, but a different mill in Charleston. So we made the uh, decision to move up to Charleston and we moved up here in 2010. Um, I got lucky because the housing market, you know, had just crashed recently. And so I was able to come in and get houses that were built, you know, a year prior for, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars and get it for about half of what they paid for it. So that worked out. And then we all moved up here to Charleston and I started, I stayed with the same company was working at the one up there. The only difference there is you would work four days on and then you would have four days off. So essentially you only worked half the year, but it still would rotate nights to days. So I had some nights mixed in there, but nowhere near as much as the other place that was like straight nights. Right. And, uh, yeah. I'm, I've worked nights before. Yeah, I worked, I I worked as a, a welder's helper for six months one time, and it was it was the night shift. It was was it eighty four hours a week or something like that. I mean, it was it was straight. It was it was every single day straight. You know, you got a per diem, but it was hell. It was it was horrible. Like it, yeah. you, you, by the time you drive back home, it's just in time to go to sleep, wake up, make your lunch, jump go. in the car, drive an hour and a half back. Horrible, yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. I mean, luckily we didn't have to. I mean, the plant was closed, so we didn't have to worry about the per diem. But I mean, it, it was nice in the sense that you get your schedule for the whole year. So I could look at a paper and I know exactly what days I'm having off. So if I wanted to plan a vacation or whatever, you know, a, a trip, you could plan it inside of those four days. And then you really wouldn't have to use vacation unless something just fell on a day where you were scheduled to work that you absolutely had or wanted to go to. So. It was nice, and they were a great company, too, and it is beneficial to the part we'll get into a little bit later on. Uh, once a year, it's usually around March, I think it is, they give out what's called a yippee check, and it's basically a portion of the profits to every employee. Nice. Now, they weren't doing as great. Obviously, we talked about it was kind of the recession at this time, but they were still giving out about nine to 12000 uh per year, and that goes straight into your 401K, and then you get like a portion of that deposited to you so maybe a thousand i think it might have been like two thousand and they tax it so you wind up getting like 1200 bucks something like that well as the economy started getting better those checks started getting better so i think one of the last ones that i got was like about 15 grand so i mean that's that's nice to yeah, go straight just, into your 401k just out of the just out of the blue yeah well you know you know that you're gonna get it they, they, they call it yippee day every year uh that check's gonna come so a lot of people look forward for that they call the Yippee Day and then Black Day because right after Black Day is when people that are on the edge of retirement, they make sure they get that Yippee check, and then they go on about their business yeah. and retire. But, uh, I mean, it was a tough job, but, you know, fortunately, I was able to build up my 401K pretty substantially, which uh, drastically helped out in the situation I would come to find myself in a little bit later on. Okay. So you're, so you're living in Charleston. Everything's going good. Mm-hmm. And what's going on with 
I mean, marriage is good. There's no problems. There's... It was good. Um, I'd probably say if I had to put a pinpoint on like where things started, there was a, a Carolina country music festival that was being held in Myrtle Beach. And it was kind of like their version of Woodstock. You know, there was, uh, I can't remember the people's names now. It was uh, Eric Church was going to be there, Lady Annabellum. Cole Swindell, just a lot of the top country singers at the time. Um, but they would start like middle of the day and then play up until, you know, late at night. And we seen this and we was like, ah, this would be a cool concert to go to. So we went down there and I actually went down on Thursday night. Another one of my buddies met me, my wife and a bunch of our other friends came down Friday, but like it was pretty much just a drink fest type concert. Right. And Saturday, another one of my buddies that came late, he was like a uh, certified EMT. And he always tells me, he's like, you can't tell people I did that, so I can't tell his name. But uh, he seen me, and he's like, dude, he's like, you look awful. He's like, have you slept? And I'm like, not much. And he's like, I got something for you. And he goes down to the car. He brings back an IV bag. And he hooks up the IV bag to me, and I'm sitting there in the chair, and there's a picture. I have to see if I can find it and, and send it to you. But uh, I'm sitting there in the chair. I've got an IV bag hooked to me, and I am still get a beer in my hand. And then you can look on the counter behind me, and there's, like, every liquor bottle you can think of on the counter behind me. So it was a good time. But now following that, well, we go he, home. He gave you the IV to, because he felt like you just had too much alcohol in your system. And- yeah. But yeah. you wanted to keep drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. wanted to keep going. Right. So, what, from what I understand, they do that in Vegas quite often. Unbelievable. <laughs> <Look>. <laughs> so. so, yeah, we finished this weekend. The last concert was on Sunday night. And so get up Monday morning, head back. Now, mind you, I haven't been home since I left work to go down there. So I've got a lot of stuff i got to do to get ready, you know, wash clothes, get ready to go to work next morning. Had to be to work at 6 in the morning. So I'm leaving my house around five, get in the car, heading to work. And there's really no other way to put it. I just got sleepy and went off the road. You you always have that sound when you go off the road that you notice, like, yeah, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. you know, but it was like, I heard that sound for like two seconds. And then I heard like a baseball bat hitting a light pole. I and mean, it was just bow. And at that point I could tell that I was airborne and like, for a minute, there was nothing. It was like I was floating, and I was just like, where did I run off a cliff? Like, what the hell's going on? And it was just bam, 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 bam. Where did you hit? They were, they were extending out a road, making it a two-lane into a, a single lane into two lanes on each side. So they were digging out with the backhoe. I hit the area where they stopped, for the I guess, for the day or for the time period. And when I went off, I hit like a huge section of concrete that was just there. Just right. sitting there. And when I hit it, it basically sent the car in like a torpedo mode. So I was flipping corner to corner, not end over end. And so I finally, the car finally comes to a stop. It's sitting upside down on another car. And that was the only thing that I could visually see because it was dark. I seen the windshield of that other car. But at the time, I didn't know if I was on the road. So I'm like, I might have just killed somebody. You know, I was really nervous, but I had my seatbelt on. It's probably the only thing that saved me, really. And I typically don't wear seatbelts, but I did that morning. So I'm trying to brace my below my head so when I undo my seatbelt, I don't fall on my neck. Right. As I'm doing that and wiggling, it rolls off the truck onto the side. So now it's sitting like this with me in the top portion of the driver's seat. 
But then I get out, the windows are all busted, but I had tin on the windows, so they're not like shattered everywhere, which was good. So I rolled it down, and I was able to literally just climb out of the top. So I climbed out, and I looked like the first thing I seen was like the driver's side front wheel was completely gone, wasn't there. And I get up there, I'm kind of sitting around, I'm trying to get my bearings, and this car comes riding by. And he's like, dude, are you all right? And I said, I think so. And he's like, you need me to call somebody? And I was like, I said, yeah, I guess just call an ambulance. You know, maybe something's wrong that I haven't figured out yet. You know, I don't know. And he's like, well, you don't need me to stay, do you? <laughs> I was like, nah, I don't know if he was drunk or what he was. But I was just like, nah, go ahead. Just call him for me if you don't mind, because I didn't know where my phone was. So I was trying to pick out, like, the best place to hop down, because I was like, I don't want to live through this wreck, hop down, then that car move again and fall on me. Yeah. So I got down. I went, my phone was actually in my pocket. I never took it out, so I knew where that was. I walked up to this house, and the house was real distinctive. It was one of those houses where the whole house looked like a roof, and it come all the way down to almost like mid, you know, mid-level, but it was, it was a very odd-built house. And I remember, like, looking at it as I walked up, like, wow, this is a crazy-looking house. So I knocked on the door, and the dude comes, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, uh man, I just had an accident out here with your uh, pickup truck. And he's like, huh? I said, I landed on top of your pickup truck. And he's like, man, that's my wife's truck. She's had that thing since high school. And I'm like, well, now. my bad, bro. <laughs> and he just shuts the door. Just shut it. He didn't say, you okay? You want a drink? Anything I can do for you? You know, a cold rag, nothing. He just shut the door and walked away. So I'm like, all right, guess he's going back to bed. So I was waiting, the ambulance got there, looking around, and it's like, you know, where's the driver? And I'm like, I'm the driver. And it's like, where's the passenger? I'm like, there wasn't any passengers that I know of. It was just me. I guess they couldn't believe that that wreck I was walking around because I'll show you some pictures of this wreck. It's insane. Like every part of the car is dented in, moonroof blown out, front bumper completely gone, tire completely gone. I mean, it was a mess. Like, even when we went later on to pick it up from the record, a guy asked how the driver was, and I was like, you're looking at him. He's like, ooh, figured you'd have been gone. But this started a situation that I had to deal with in my back because I really did get hurt. It wasn't something that was hurt, like, right off the bat, but it did develop me a lot of back problems that I still deal with. Did you go to the hospital? Day. Yeah, I went to the hospital. I called after I was waiting when he shut the door on me. I called my wife and let her know. Then I called my job and obviously let them know that I wouldn't be coming in. And the ambulance got there, and my wife was on the way. So by the time she got there, it looked a lot worse because they're transporting me to the hospital. So they've got me on a board. They've got tape wrapped around my head. Yeah. They've got a neck brace on. I mean, I'm just – I look like I'm, you know, in bad shape. Yeah. And she's panicking. She's oh, my God. And I'm just like, no, it's, it's cool. They're just, it's just precaution. Like I was literally just standing up two minutes ago. So we go to the emergency room and they run tests and x-rays and the guy comes back out and he's like, I don't know what your religion is or who you pray to. He's like, but just keep it up. It's working. And I was like, all right. But then like a week later I started, which I knew I was going to be sore the next couple of days anyway. That's always how wrecks are. Yeah. And I started developing some pain in my lower back and it's like my L4, L5, L5 and S1 are just really, really damaged back there. And since then, I've been using different techniques to try to help it, different shots, cortisone shots, I mean, different things. They're saying it's not imperative enough to go in and require surgery to do it because then you're going to have a permanent discomfort yeah. for the rest of your life. 
but if we can manage it to where you can, you know, get by without having to do it, it's better this way. So those are the steps I've been following since then. But that particular incident kind of started a chain reaction because I was out of work for a little while. Uh, the job that I had got filled. I still had a job in the company, but the particular job that I had that time got filled. So I had to come back and take another job, which wasn't as desirable because there's, I mean, this plant's got like five different divisions in the plant. I mean, there's hundreds of jobs, but the one that I had originally, I really, really liked. And I wound up having to go to another one. And that was kind of, I would say what started the ball rolling, uh, on problems. And then what really kicked it into high gear was I had a friend of mine. He lived two houses down from me. This is a community much like, you know, the one we're in, everybody's real close knit. And we had a group of friends that would get together on the weekends. And we, our kind of tradition was we would go on Fridays to a Mexican restaurant, hang out for a little bit, then go back to one of our houses in the group and just hang out in the garage and chill out, you know? Well, this one particular Friday, I could tell that the guy and his wife wasn't getting along and which, I mean, I ain't gonna say that was unusual, but they didn't, they didn't do it a lot to the point you go say, Oh, well there they go again. Yeah, yeah. And, but I mean, great dude. Anytime I'd ever met him, always offered, you know, to bring something or, you know, great mood, wife, two kids, good job off on Fridays, had a Harley bike, boat, drove a Mercedes. Like if you were to say, give me a life as a 40 something year old man, that's the guy's life you want. Right. And so we leave there. We go to a friend's house. We're all sitting around. You could tell he was probably drank, you know, one or two more drinks than usual. And my wife calls me. She's actually at another friend of ours house. It's like right around the corner. And she's like, hey, come over here and, you know, hang out with us for a little bit. So I was like, all right. So I told everybody there, bye. Literally like down the street to the right. That's where they live at. So I'm there maybe 15, 20 minutes. We're talking. And then all of a sudden you hear the scream and, but we have a lot of kids in our neighborhood. So we weren't sure if it was kids playing or whatever, cause it wasn't super late, maybe 10 o'clock. And then the more you heard it, you could tell it was like, it was a serious style scream, like something was wrong. And I remember it real, real vividly because the, the song Johnny cash hurt was playing on the radio. So it was like, it kind of gave it more eerier feeling Right. The, the normal because i remember thinking like god every time i hear that song i think about this but so we go out and there's only from that guy's house we were at there's only like three houses up entrance to the neighborhood but the first house is the couple that i was referring to so it's only like a two house gap between them and their house so i go running up and there's this woman rolling around in the ground just screaming screaming to the top of her lungs can't stop if she does stop and she takes a breath and starts screaming again is this your buddy's wife Yes. I didn't know it at okay. the time. I, for whatever reason, the guy who house that I was with, he went straight in the house. I don't know what prompted him to do that, but I thought, cause there was a car stopped. I think just trying to figure out what was going on. I was thinking maybe there was a domestic something guy hit a girl. She's rolling around on the ground, something like that. So I go to the girl on the ground. Once I roll her over, I realize it's the couple that we were with at the Mexican restaurant, but she's already in like night clothes. I just left. They were in, you know, street clothes. And I was just like, what the hell's going on? And she's like, he did it. He shot himself. And I was like, who? And she said his name. And I went, I was like, Oh, so I went go running in the house. And the way his house was set up, you come in, you had a dining room to the left, open area, living room to the right. And then kitchen was like open to the dining room. And I seen uh, a pair of feet like hanging out. And when I cut the corner, the other friend of mine, whose house we were at 
you know, before when all this happened, he was already at his head. He had his shirt off. He had like wrapped it around his head. And at the end of the day, what had happened was the guy put a gun in his mouth and he committed suicide. And Matt, when I tell you, this was the worst thing I had ever seen in my life. Like I'd never seen nothing like it before. I've been with, I've been with family members that are older and, and passed away. So I've seen death and I've seen people die, but that was, that's different. Like this was, it was just, I still, I get more nightmares about that than I do anything um, that I've went through since then. And I think that was just something that kind of started me on a downward spiral. I'd say probably a depression too. And it led to me and my wife kind of arguing a great deal. He's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious. Vaccines have been created for it. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. You didn't know that you knew the couple you'd had dinner with, but you weren't like, were they a part of your group? Yeah. Um, I had only recently met them. I'd say probably like two months. So we hadn't known each other, you know, like I said, years and years, but it, the, it's, he was just one of the people that as soon as he come in, he was going to click with whatever group he was with. You know, he just, super he just, nice so, guy. so what did you find out happened? He just walked in there, pulled a the fucking gun. Like, were, were well, there? remember I told you, I could tell they were arguing at the dinner. Yeah. And from what I know, they had some arguments earlier on in the dinner. Um, and there was a lot of stuff, I guess, behind the scenes that people didn't know. And it boiled over that night. And it was a situation where he had apparently threatened to do this a couple of times. And so it was, you know, probably thought it was that again, but this time he actually went through with it. But this, I mean, he had never said that around any of the guys that right. had been with him. You know, hey, I'm I'm battling, I'm struggling. You know, that was never done. So obviously, you hear that, you're thinking, well, he's probably doing that to control the woman, right? Which is, you know, sadly, some people do that. You know, they'll threaten that to to keep a woman under control. But like, if I'd had to put money on any of my friends doing it, he would have been the last one to do it. Because I mean, like I said, he had on the surface, he had everything you wanted for for a guy at his age. Um. So, okay, so that slowly started leading to, you know, you and your wife start having problems. Like, what are those arguments over? Uh, at the time, drinking, um, I just didn't want to be home. I felt like if I was home, I was just going to sit there and be miserable. And it was, you know, and a lot of it was my fault. I'll, I'll square the, the shoulders on a lot of it, you know, put the blame on my shoulders. Um, you know, it... We had had issues from before, not, not, I shouldn't say issues, but we had had petty fights about stuff, but like for, you know how women are, sometimes they will come back up later right. on. And I'm not that type of guy. Like when we put a problem or an issue to bed, I don't want to bring it up again in six months, Yeah, yeah. you know? And sometimes that would happen. And it was just like, it was getting to the point where I told my wife, I was like, you know what? We need a break. And, and I thought it was the, the right thing to do. I didn't say, you know, it's over you know, don't ever want to see you again. I eventually led to that. Uh, we were going to get a divorce, but at first we was just like, Hey, we need a break. We need to separate. And once we separated, I let her stay in the house that we were living at. And I moved into someone's house that was still in the neighborhood. that was around the corner. And I told him, I was like, or told her, I was like, look, I said, if you start seeing somebody like, you gotta let me know because I'm not going to be paying the bills at this house. And 
another dude coming over sitting on my couch and watching ESPN on my TV. You right. Know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So eventually that did start to happen. She did meet somebody. And I figured she would meet somebody. I mean, my wife's a, a great chick, you know, and I put, she's got her, uh, she went and got her master's. She just recently got her doctorate. So like, she's very smart. Um, and she brings a lot to the table. So I knew if she started to be actively looking, it would not take long right. for someone to jump on that. So I didn't even have a problem with the guy, you know, doing that. If I would have been in his situation, I would have jumped at the chance too. So when this happened, this is around, this is in 2017. The guy's suicide was in like August, July, August. This is around November when she tells me that, you know, she met someone and I'm just like, all right, well, you remember the transition I told you, you know, you got to slide on out wherever you goes up to you. And November the 1st, it was the day after uh, Halloween. I remember we went over there and took my son trick-or-treating. And then the next day she moved out to another house. Um, the way our neighborhood is set up, you got like five different communities. So you have mine, which is like old rice. Then you have, you know, two or three more all the way back. I mean, it goes for miles. Yeah, that's and, like this one. You yeah. saw all the different subdivisions yeah. all located in one massive community. Right. And that's exactly what we are. And she moved in one about three subdivisions back. And I mean, I broke her balls for a little bit about it. I'm like, you couldn't have moved like, you know, 10 minutes away, you know, right. something, something like that. And then I got to bump into you at Publix or something. But, you know, it, it still wasn't uh, hateful. It wasn't like we hated each other. And, you know, that was the situation. I mean, she was doing her thing. She met the guy. The guy moved in. I was doing my thing. Um, and it was what it was. We were going to get a divorce. Um, did, you, did you know the guy? No. I had no idea who he was. He was not from around here. He had recently moved here. And uh, so we were going forward with everything. We agreed we were going to get a divorce um, partly because I could give her some of my money from my 401k. And I was actually, it was kind of a workaround for me. I was going to pull more out, agree to pull more out than what she wanted. And then she was going to give it back to me. Right. So if she only so wanted to pay the fees. Right. And don't have to right, pay right. the fees and all that. It was a way for me to kind of get an early withdrawal, basically, a little workaround. So if the IRS is listening, that didn't happen. So we're good. That's fine. No <laughs> um, harm, no foul. <laughs> uh, so that was the plan. So I hired a divorce attorney. Um, and we just really didn't talk until... Around the month of December, uh, we were trying to figure out like how we were going to do things with the kids and, you know, who was going to go where, what was going to go what. And we were just talking. I'm like, you know, well, how's things going with you? And she's like, eh, not too good, this, that, and the other. And, you know, I was just kind of, you know, messing with her. I was like, I told you, you know, you're going to have a hard time trying to find somebody that's going to put up with all your shit, you right. know. And uh, slowly but surely, we started kind of talking again. But I think we both weren't sure if it was something we wanted to restart, but there was definitely still love there, you know, and that's, that was normal. Yeah. That's very common. Yeah. I was actually saying that to, to Connor. I was like, you know, guys will like, you can have a breakup and then you'll, it's funny, even people, couples that are at each other's throat, you still, every couple of weeks, you might get that phone call. Like, can you come over? You know, you're like, yeah. you're like, yeah, you come over, you stay the night, you get up and leave the next morning. Next thing you know, two weeks later, even though you're seeing somebody else, you know, there's that slight overlap until you get to a point where you're like, one of the two people says, yeah, we're not doing this anymore. Yeah. I'm with this person. This is over. Like, but there's usually that kind of, you know, or even sometimes it's, it's just a matter of this person has been in your life so long, things happen and you need somebody to tell. Yeah. You know, so you tell the person that you were closest to, even though it's not working out. Yeah. And that was, that was a lot with me and her. Like, you know, we've had a lot of people pass away in, in her family. 
um, her dad, who was hugely important in her life, uh, he passed away, and that was like really put a number on her. Um, later on, her aunt suddenly, shockingly died. She had a uh, brain tumor, and the their family structure, she was only just a couple years older than my wife. So even though that was her aunt, they were more like sisters because the time gap wasn't, a, or age gap wasn't very huge. They both had daughters that were the same age. So, you know, we've been through a lot together. And, and I think to your point, that's exactly what it was is sometimes, you know, you just need family yeah, and, or, and people that's, you know, you know, your backstory and aren't going to judge you for it. And, you know, things that's happened. And I think that was a lot of what led us back together because there was no doubt we loved each other. It was just to a point to where it was becoming that Pam and Tommy relationship. Right. You know? And, uh, well, we kind of was seeing each other on and off and that lasted through Christmas. Um, we seen each other a little bit through Christmas and fast forward to that kind of went off and on for the next couple of months. Then we got to Easter. And at this point, the guy was living with her at her home. He had then moved out. I think in January he left to go back home and was going to stay home. I'm not sure what happened and home for him, I think, was Pennsylvania, I think. But something happened, and he didn't wind up staying, and he came back. But when he come back, he didn't live there. Now, he would still come, but he didn't live there. And when it got to around Easter, I was just like, look, you know, if we're going to do this, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. Let's put everything we got into it because it's probably be like one and done. If we don't get it this time, you know, it's probably time to push the chips in. I was like, but he's going to have to go. You're going to have to tell him, you know, you're coming back here. Just tell him, you know. And that was kind of what set everything in motion because we were together for a whole weekend. We went to her mom's for Easter weekend. We went to Myrtle Beach, stayed up there for like four days. And then we come back on a Thursday. We come back on a Friday. Friday and my son had a soccer game the next day on a Saturday and I was like all right are you going to tell him you know tonight everything what was going on and she's like yeah I'll tell him so at the soccer game I'm sitting there and she comes up and I was like well how'd he take it and he's like he didn't take it she said he came in said his head was killing him he went straight to bed now this guy was a former vet and he had had diagnosed PTSD so some of the meds that he was on when he would come home he would take them and just pass right out Right. And I don't know all the names of the meds and stuff that he was on, but that's generally what would happen. So she said, all right, I'm going to tell him today. And I was like, okay, you know, you let me know what's going on. And, you know, just keep me in the loop. If you need me, call me. Let's fast forwards to, I'd say probably about six o'clock. She said she told him and he was pissed and he left and he grabbed his dog. He had a service dog. And she's like, but I know he's not gone because he's still got to come back to get all of his stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, you might better go back there because if he sees you here, then he's really going to get pissed. And so this is probably like 8 or 9 o'clock. I'm with some friends of mine around the corner. The same guy, we're going to circle back around to the same guy that I was with the night that my friend shot himself. Right. He calls me, and he knew what was going on. He knew the situation because he's a good friend of mine. He knew that we had split up. Then he knew we were about to reconcile, but he also knew about the other guy. And he called me, and he was like, hey, where you at? And I said, I'm at a friend of mine's around the corner. He knew the guy's name was Nate. And uh, he said, well, if you come by here and you see the guy's, uh, I don't really remember what I want to say his name. But he was like, if you see someone's those truck here, um, you know, don't stop. And I'm like, all right, well, you want to give me a little bit more on that? You know, what's going on? And he said, well, they come riding by. And he said, I went up to the car and was like, you know, hey, guys, what's going on? And he said, I could tell 
your wife was visibly shaking, and he said, I asked him what's up, and he said, oh, we're, I'm just looking for Chip because when I find him, I'm going to fucking kill him. Now, I didn't know this, that all this was going on. So I'm trying to call her phone to figure out what's happening. Her phone's going straight to voicemail because I guess when he came back, things got violent. He was punching holes in the wall. He broke her phone, apparently roughed her up a little bit, but I had no way to find all this out because her phone was smashed. So later on, he calls me again, and he said, hey, I'm going to have him at my house. He said, if you come by here, it's just going to be him. But he's like, I'm going to try to talk, figure out what's going on. But if you ride by here, you know, just don't stop. I don't want anything going on at my house. I'm like, all right, you know, that's fine. So I go back to my house. I'm just sitting there. I think I was watching like a UFC or something on TV. And my daughter calls me. She but worked. He knows where you live, though, right? Yeah, yeah, he knows. He knew, okay. but I, my car wasn't at my house. Oh. When they were looking for me, I wasn't home. Oh, okay. So had I been home when he was making he her drive around by, looking yeah. for me, he probably would have stopped by and things would have maybe, who knows how they went at right. that point in time. But by the time, you know, I, I get home, this is this is probably like 1230 because it's like the main event of the UFC is coming on right then, which is why I went to my house to watch it. So it's probably at least 1230, 1 o'clock because they come on pretty late East Coast time. And I talked to my daughter. She worked at the Mexican restaurant that I was talking about earlier. I said, I called her. I said, when you get home, let me know your mom's okay. So she gets home, and then she calls me from my daughter's phone. She's like, yeah. She's like, he got upset, but she said, Jamie got him. He's at Jamie's house. You know, don't worry about it. He's he's going to be staying there. And so I'm thinking, all right, well, he's going to be staying there. They're good. I'm, I'm good. So I'm in bed watching the UFC, and then all of a sudden I get a text, but it's from his phone. And he said, hey, are you home? And I text back. I said, yeah, I'm home. And he's like, can me and you talk? And I was like, yeah, about what? And he was like, man, he said, I don't want no drama. I don't want no BS. He said, but I feel like I'm being lied to on certain situations. And he said, I feel like you'll tell me the truth. And he's like, if you want to, we can meet at Jamie's house, which was my friend right down the street. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And so my my thinking is here is if I can diffuse this situation, because obviously he's pissed because he thinks this has been going on while he's there, that he wasn't privy to it been right. going on. So I'm a pretty smooth talker, and I'm thinking, I can diffuse this. Yeah. And just think, hey, maybe she just wants to come back home. So we go down there, and that's exactly what it was. He was just saying, you know, I want to know how long you guys have been talking. You know, I was like, well, to start with, that's still my wife. So it's really none of your business how long we've been talking. But to answer your question, like, this just we just decided this, both, recently. And so it would go from, like, high tension to back to being nothing at all to – I'd say fast forward two hours, and it was basically like three guys sitting in the garage talking, right. just with weird extenuating circumstances. Right. <laughs> but we go to leave, and this is now, this is probably like 2.30 by the time we get together there. We're talking probably 4.30. The guy whose house we were at was like, all right, I'm fixing to shut it down. He's like, if you want to stay here, you can stay here. He said, or you get chipped to run you home, whatever you want to do. And I looked at him and he was like, he said, do you care, you know, running me home? I was like, no, I don't care. So we shut the garage and then he was like, you know, man, I don't know if I want to go home. He said, I know if we go home, we're going to start fighting. And my house from his house is like six houses down the other way. And he said, do you care if we go to your house? I'm like, no, I don't care. Because at this point, I didn't perceive this guy as a threat. Right. Now, I'm not going to say we were friends, but, you know, I just didn't perceive him as a being violent. 
So we go and we pull in. During the time we were talking in the garage, the story I just referenced to you about the guy that committed suicide came up. Well, I don't know if he was trying to match the story or, you know, to, to say something similar, but he held up his wrist and he was talking about a bracelet that he had. He's like, do you know why I wear this? And I'm thinking, no, I would not know why you wear that. Right. But I said no. And he told me the story of a guy that he was in service with. He was in the Army that they were together in combat. And he, the guy got shot in the head. He was trying to save him. But whatever he did wasn't the proper protocol, and they kicked him out of the army for it. Whatever they call you, that um, they got a name for it when they not dishonorably dishonorably charged. I think maybe dishonorably charged, dishonorably discharged. Maybe that might be what it is. But in actuality, that wasn't even true. I didn't find out later. It was partly true. I didn't find out later till he was never actually in like battle. He was intelligence. He sent a guy into somewhere with his intelligence that got that individual killed, which was what got him booted out, which was why he was diagnosed with PTSD, because it did bother him, which was also the reason why right before him and my wife met, he had just gotten out of a mental institution in Alabama, which she didn't know until much, much later in the relationship. So that was the correlation, but he put it like he was there himself. Right. When in actuality, he was kind of behind the scenes. Still, it was still his fault, but you could tell that it bothered him. Like he was crying. He cried in the car. So at that point, I'm really thinking this dude just maybe just needs somebody to talk to. You know, now he's losing, you know, what he thought was his relationship. And, you know, maybe he just needs someone to talk to. So we go in my house, you know, looking around, just talking different things. This is probably four o'clock ish, somewhere along in that neighborhood. You know, had a we each did a shot. We're talking about different things, and we get on the subject of tattoos. And uh, we were talking about another one of my friends' moms. He's like, well, she's always said, you know, crappy things about people with tattoos. He's like, you're covered in them. Does she ever say anything to you? And I was like, no, she ain't never said nothing to me. I said, I got them all over. And I kind of pulled down my shirt slightly, and he seen this one on my chest. And when he seen it, he reached at the bottom of my shirt and pulled my shirt up to see it. And when he did, he noticed, if you see right here, I got an open heart surgery scar right there. Okay. When he seen that scar, he was like, damn. He's like, what happened there? And I said, I had open heart surgery uh, my senior year in high school. And he's like, you know, just, you had a heart attack? And I was like, no. I said, it was something that they knew from birth. It was a, they called it a VSD, basically a hole in the heart. I said, but my senior year, they were able to tell that the hole was bigger than what they thought. And that if it was going to be repaired, better to be repaired then up under my mom's insurance than to do it later on, you know, later on life where the complications might be worse. Right. So senior in high school, I missed half my year for getting the heart surgery done. And when he seen that, he was kind of like, you could just tell his whole demeanor kind of just changed. And you know, when people, especially when they've had too much to drink, they do that shit where they like bro hug, you know, and kind of like bear hug you and pick you up. So he done that, and I didn't think much of it at the time that he did it. I just, you know, I didn't never been around a guy. I didn't know how he could hold his alcohol. I didn't know how much he had had to drink. I know he was drinking at the garage, and then when we got to back to my house, he had had two Land Shark beers, and then we each shared a uh, shot. Law enforcement often questions him, not because he's suspected of a crime, but because they find him fascinating. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do... It's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon.
So he goes to the bathroom, and I kind of move to where my stove is. Now, my kitchen is set up basically like an L. So you have the refrigerator here and a hallway here. After the refrigerator, then you got the stove, and it curves back around the sink. So it's very tight and confined. I'm sitting up against the stove, just, you know, chilling, waiting on him to get out. I actually think I was responding to some messages throughout the night. I even text uh, my wife from my son's phone. I'm just like, hey, everything's good. You know, he's actually with me. We're just talking, trying to make sure everything's good before I bring him back over there. He comes out of the kitchen or out of the bathroom into the kitchen. He comes straight up to me, and the first thing he does is, like, grabs me and jacks me up. So, of course, like, my ass goes up onto a stove. I'm trying to figure out what, like, what the hell's going on, and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And I'm just like, I thought he was joking for a minute, but then, like, the more I could feel his hand, and I seen that look in his eyes, I was like, all right, this dude's not joking. So I was able to get down off the stove. He tries to, like, knee me, bring up his knee, so I turn my body a little bit. He still got me slightly, but I, he didn't really get it full effect. And I told him, I was like, dude, if you don't get off me, I'm going to shoot you. And he goes back, he cocks back his right hand, and, and I'll jump back one second. Whenever he pulled up that shirt to see that scar, he had to see that I was I had a gun on me because that's where it was. Right. And I was a CWP carrier. I had been for years. I'd owned guns since I was 18 years old. So it was normal for me to have a gun on me because I know that was the first thing. It was like, why'd you have a gun? I'm a CWP holder. I always have a gun. Right. I'd had it for years. And I've been pulled over with that same gun with those numbers ran. So there's documentation that that's the gun that I carry around. Well, when he swings, he's holding me with his left. He's swinging with his right. He kind of like clips my chin so he doesn't hit it fully. So as his body's turning, he lets go with his hand. So at that point, I step back into the corner, literally in a corner, and he's already coming back at me. And I pulled out and I shot. I thought it was twice. Turns out it was three times. I didn't learn that until later. But like it's and that's a guy thing, you know, guys will talk junk to each other, you know, maybe via text message or maybe in face to face. But when you put hands on somebody, yeah. like that's another level. And then I don't know this guy really like that. And, you know, with the situation that he just talked about, I obviously know he's got some things going on mentally. He is getting told that, you know, we're getting back together. And then he tells me he's going to kill me. I got to take him at his word. Yeah. You know, well, got- and he's, he's in your house. Yeah. It's a, Bad situation. He's drinking. He's attacking you. And the 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 what I what I I always find. So, whenever you hear about like a police shooting or they wrestled and people are like, well, they didn't have to shoot him. Well, wait a minute. The officers armed. So you think, oh, he could have just wrestled with him. No, there's a gun there that can go so badly so quickly that the moment that person says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to fight you. And I have a gun, I've got to pull my gun. Because the chances that you could get the gun mm-hmm. and kill me, and you're the one who's being aggressive, means that I have to stop the situation immediately. I can't get into a – it's not like we can get into a wrestling match and we're going to break it apart. You're attacking me. I have a gun. I could get shot with my own gun. If anybody's getting shot and I've got a gun, it's going to be you. Yeah. You're attacking me. Yeah. That's the whole stand your ground. Yeah, you know, stand your ground, castle law. Absolutely. And you're in that. my house. Like, yeah. what do you th- – like, every single step of this situation – is just not in his favor. Exactly. And he's already telling somebody prior to find driving around looking for him, telling people I'm going to kill him. You thought you defused the situation, goes to your house and attacks you. Like and that was exactly what what you just said because I the the surgery I mentioned earlier about the back issues, the surgeries that I was having at the time 
they would go in and they would uh, basically burn the nerve endings away from the spine. And it would hurt for a couple of weeks. But then after that, you would have pretty good pain relief for about six to eight months because these nerve endings will reattach themselves. And I had just had this done about a week before this happened. So my mobility was already like very limited in this. And plus, you know, I, this was a big dude. Like right. he's former military. I mean, he was a big guy. So it was really, I didn't have any choice because it was like, when he's telling me that I got to take him at his word. And at that point, like the first thing in my head was like, one of us ain't coming out of this kitchen. Right. And that was, that was just it. And as soon as I shot him, he dropped. I was just, you know, the first instinct was like, what the fuck just happened? So I put the gun down, picked up the phone, immediately called 911. I didn't touch him. I didn't move anything. I didn't mess with anything. Because at, at my point in my mind, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. I've defended myself in my house. Now, the 911 call, which there's portions of it available online, has become a huge point of, of contention because when I was on the phone, the first thing that I said was, I had a friend of mine in my house. He started hitting me. I had no choice. I had to shoot him. The friend of mine thing got blown real out of proportion because people was like, well, they weren't friends. And I'm just like... I didn't have time to tell the whole right. fucking story to the 911 operator. I just sum it up. Yeah, I'm like, all right, well, he's dying, but wait a minute. Let me tell you this long story for 20 minutes. I was, I just, It was the first thing that I could think of to get her to there because it wasn't a robber. I didn't want him to think he was robbing me. Right. But that was the first thing that I said. Yeah, maybe not the best choice of words, but you try being in this situation and coming up with a better explanation to get him there. My main thing is I just wanted him to get there. Yeah. And so I talked to the 911 operator, and she's like, you know, how is he, this, that, and the other? Is he breathing? Is he talking? Is he moving? And I'm telling her what he was doing. He never talked. He was making some some noises. And she was like, you know, do you have a towel nearby? And I said, yeah, there's a, one in my bathroom. She said, can you go get the towel and place it over the wounds? I run to the bathroom. I yanked the towel. I yanked the towel so hard off the bathroom uh, wall that it brings the whole damn bracket with it. Right. You know, the little bracket that you hang your towel. So I go back. I pull up his shirt. And I see two small wounds that looks like looks like if you were to take a pencil and just stab through paper. Very, very small. Right. And I put the towel over that and I hold it till the police get there. Sit there and uh, I'm on she's like, you know, is the door unlocked? I said, Yeah. She's like, you know, make sure the gun's unloaded, out of sight. You don't want to have that on you when the cops get there. I'm like, it's on the counter, it's unloaded. I was like, the door's unlocked. They can just come on in, whatever the, you know, whatever they want to do. And she said, Okay, the officer's there. She said, We need you to go outside with your hands up. So I go outside, hands up. They cuff me, but he doesn't say I'm under arrest. He just said, we got to see what's going on. So he cuffs me, puts me in the car. He was the first officer on the scene. So he goes in and, and checks everything out. Then there's another officer, and then cops just keep coming, keep coming. And you'd imagine if something out like that happens in one of these streets, and all these streets are filled with cops, every right. neighbor's, because at this point it's 6, 30, 7 in the morning, every neighbor's like looking out the window, what the hell's going on? I'm sitting out there in a cop car in the back seat. There's ambulances there now. There's like the fire EMSs there now. I mean, it's the whole street is packed. And I'm just sitting there waiting and I see him finally bring him out and they get on the, they get in the ambulance, they leave. Still nobody's come to me for anything. Finally, a female cop comes back and she reads me my rights and asks me if I'm, you know, wants to answer any questions. And I told her, no, not without a lawyer. So that was that part. So I knew they couldn't ask me anything else. I'd say probably another hour goes by and I'm still in there and I'm kind of nodding to one of the cops, like telling him to come here. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, dude, I got to go to the bathroom. 
He's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to have to hold it. And I was like, no, I don't know what to tell you. Like, there's no holding. It's about to happen. It can happen in this car, in this yard, or in the house. But, like, I got to go. So they let me go, or they took me out. They took me upstairs into my house. And they was like, you know, is there somewhere here you can change clothes? And I'm like, yeah, this is my house. So everything in here is my house. So we go upstairs, change clothes. They take all the clothes that I have on that day, shirt, pants, boots, all that stuff, which is, I guess, common. And I changed clothes, and he asked me if there's anywhere I can go until everything gets resolved. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's a – by this time, I mean, people that I knew in that neighborhood were, like, sitting around the house in golf carts mm-hmm. just trying to figure out what the hell was going on. So I go, and I pick one up. I'm like, hey, I'm going to go hang out at your house until they finish. And he's like, all right. So I told him what the address was, and we go over there, and it's, like, probably 8 in the morning, 9 in the morning at this point. You know, I still haven't been to bed yet. I mean, just, you know, adrenaline's still through the roof. And I'm waiting, and he pulls back up. One of the detectives pulls back up, and he's like, are you ready to answer some questions for us? And I was like, well, no, like I said, not without a lawyer. And he's like, well, who's your lawyer? Well, at the time, I was using my divorce lawyer, who was also a former cop. So I told him his name. And he's like, well, I know him. He's like, well, we'll get together Monday morning, and uh, you know, we'll give you some questions to answer, and we'll go through that. He says, so just look to get with him sometime Monday morning to answer our questions. And I don't know if you're going to come in or write a statement or what. I'm like, okay. So I said, I'm free to go back home. And they said, yeah, you're free to go. And I was like, you know, what about, you know, is there any mess? And he's like, he said, I don't think there's much. He said, but that's not on us to clean up. He said, that's on you. Because all they do is handle the crime scene and then they leave. It doesn't matter what's left. That's not, that is not their responsibility to clean up. Well, by this time, somebody already called my mom. My mom lives about two hours away. So she's there. When I come back, obviously she's hysterical and when we went in the house, there really wasn't a lot there. Like there was very, very little blood so much to the fact that she took like two paper towels and just wiped the floor and then it was done. That was it. So it's not like on TV when you see somebody shoot somebody and the whole wall gets covered yeah. in blood. It was, it was not like that at all. Matter of fact, the whole situation while I was there, I never seen blood at all. So the day goes by, get up Monday morning uh, I think I might have slept a couple hours that night. It was still just everything was just still 100 miles an hour. So I go to my lawyer's office. We write a statement. We send it to them. Um, they obviously want to talk to my wife. She goes. She gives a statement. Then on Wednesday, I see my lawyer call me, and he's like, hey, I got some bad news. And I'm like, what? And he's like, they're charging you with murder. And I was like, why? And he was like, I don't know. He's Did like, you ever think that was coming? No. Especially not after they let me go like right. that morning. I, I figured I was probably going to have to go to jail. But once they figured out what happened, everything happened, especially with, you know, all the proof there that right. they would let me go. That was what I was thinking. But then when they didn't even take me to jail. You thought, you never morning, I'm never doing it. Yeah. yeah. This is, this I was is, like, they they realized what happened. Yeah, this is fine. clear cut because the way everything happened in that kitchen, and I'll get into this a little bit more in a little bit, but like everything was backed up just by the way stuff happened. So two two out of the three shots went through and through one of them hit my refrigerator and then bounced and hit a wall. The other one hit uh, like a 24 pack of water that was sitting beside the refrigerator. The other one struck that. So what that did was that proved that I said I was standing in the corner, right? It proved that I was standing in the corner. Otherwise you can't get that indentation on that refrigerator to bounce over here. If you're anywhere else, but where I told you also a shell casing was recovered in the sink which when you're in that corner, shell casing or uh, yeah. sinks to the right, shell casings are ejected to the right and back. So 
it's everything was lining up that way. And trust me, I did not have the wherewithal at that time to go start checking all this stuff out, right. and, you know, measuring stuff and, and looking for stuff. It was just, I didn't need to lie. I didn't need to tell anything that didn't happen because everything was the truth. And it, it, I, it was backed up by what I said. Right. So he tells me they're going to do that. And I'm just like, dude, you know, I don't really know about you handling this. I was like, no disrespect, but like, if you handled a case like this before, and he's like, well, I've handled a few. He's like, but if you want to look for other options, he's like, that's, that's on you. He's like, you know, I won't get mad or upset. He's like, this is the one, a case that you got to deal with. So I start hanging up the phone and calling people that I know around the area. And I'm like, who's the best attorney for this? And I keep hearing one name over and over and over again. It's Andy Savage, even from towns where I grew up in, in Darlington, calling guys there, you know, big, big shot lawyers, Andy Savage, Andy Savage, Andy Savage. I hear that name probably 10 times. I don't think I heard a different name uh, when I was telling him what was going on. So at this point, it's late in the day on Tuesday. They want me to turn myself in on Wednesday. So it's like we're talking less than 24 hours here. I got to turn myself into jail. So I called his, uh, they were closed, but you have like a 1-800 number or whatever. You can leave a message and it gets checked. And if it's important enough, then they contact him. Left a message, told him what was going on. He calls me, kind of gets a little gist of it. He said, I don't want to know everything. He said, just give me the broad strokes. When are you supposed to be turning yourself in? I told him, he said, be at my office at 630 tomorrow morning. I was like, all right. So me, my wife, my mom, they carry me up there 6.30, and we basically break down the story, kind of just at this point from what we knew, you know, told him everything, and he was like, why are we here? And I was like, your guess is as good as mine, bro. I don't know. Like, you know, they can't even, they can't even paint this as a jealousy thing because he wasn't the one, he would be the one that would be the jealous one, not me. Right. Like, it's not like this just happened. Yeah. It's not like he took your wife and you brought, lured him to your house and shot him. Right. This is him. He's getting his walking papers. He's getting the boot. Exactly. And usually nine times out of 10, you probably know this. Whoever's where they're not supposed to be is the one with the problem. Right. That's, that's typically how it is. And he was just like, is, is it an election year? Is somebody trying to make a statement? And I was just like, I don't know. I just know I didn't do anything wrong. So huge amount of money we got to come. This law, Good lawyers are not cheap. Uh-huh. If anybody out there that finds themselves in, in need of an attorney, they're worth every penny, or the right ones could be. Mine was. But they are not cheap. But the reason they're not cheap is, like, as I'm sitting here telling him this stuff, like I'm mentioning names, this, that, and the other, papers are just being printed. Stuff on, on the guy, on me, on on everything, on his, you know, military records. I mean, just everything that could be pulled was being pulled like almost verbatim as I'm saying it. Like it it was literally, that scene was like something out of a movie, everything that was being done. And he goes and he said, when are you supposed to turn yourself in? I said, today, like in a couple hours at 12 o'clock. And he's like, give me a minute. So he comes back and he's like, all right, I got your, uh, you you don't have to go till Friday. He's like, but I'm going to try to get it pushed back till Sunday. He said, I'm telling him I'm taking you on as a client. You know, we're going to, we need some time to get stuff ready. So basically what he needs from me is he's like, you know, reach out to everybody, you know, get some character letters wrote up, you know, talking about who you are, what kind of person you are. He said, we'll present that with a judge to a judge for bond. He's like, typically in situations like this, I like to tell people to just sit in jail for a while and wait and let the heat die down. He's like, but in your case, I don't really see any reason why you should have to do that because he actually represented, I don't know if you remember the case, but, uh, Mark Schlager, where uh, Walter Scott, there was a video of the guy running away, and the cop shot him like nine times oh, in the yeah. back. Oh, yeah. 
was unarmed. Yeah. Well, there's there's more to it than that. Okay. But uh, that my lawyer was Walter Scott's lawyer. I'm no, excuse me, uh, Mark Schlager's lawyer. Um, and he actually got him off on the the local trial, but then the state come in and he didn't get him off. Or matter, he got him off on the state, and then the feds come in. And he actually in, got found say. guilty in the feds. But so he was. But that wasn't for murder in the feds. It was for wasn't it for like violation his civil rights? It was something along those lines. Yeah, because he got. I, I want to say he got like 17, 18 years. I could be off on the number. But listening to the the CSI guy that we wound up getting for my case, done a podcast. Um, breaking down like that, that Walter Scott actually used the taser on Schlager and which gave him right to be able to fire. Now then you have to tie in, you know, was, was all the, what all happened before the video got put on, but that's, you can talk for a whole nother show just yeah. about that alone. That's craziness. But they, we, that was the guy, same guy that, um, you know, represented him. And so we got all the stuff together. We got all the character letters together. And then he wound up, did getting it pushed back until Sunday. He's like, you don't have to turn yourself into Sunday at one o'clock. So I'm like, no, a couple of days. Yeah. At least you don't have to sit in jail over the weekend. Yeah. Sit in jail over the weekend. That's a couple of days. So we're trying to get everything together. We get care. I think I got like 65 character letters from different people. I would have had a lot more, but some of my friends are felons and they're like, I don't know if I should write one. And I'm just <laughs> like, well, Maybe you're right. Just just keep your letter. I was like, I appreciate it, but just keep your letter. <laughs> and so we go in, and uh, everybody comes down to my house like that weekend. Say, so I don't want it to sound like we weren't care. It was almost like a party, right? Like going away party, kind of. Like everybody come, we eat. You could tell there was like an uncomfortableness amongst everybody, but it was kind of like you know, just in case something goes wrong, if they do decide to keep me or whatever reason. It was just one last time everybody's getting together. So we get together, we eat, everybody hangs out. And then Sunday morning, um, me and my wife got in the back of the car and my mom and, and stepdad took me to jail and dropped me off. And, you know, I hugged everybody before I went in because I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, getting bond for murder is not an easy thing. Right. A lot of times you don't get bond for murder. You have to stay in for a while. So it was a, I went in there not really knowing what was going to happen. I go in and, uh, you know, sit down on the bench. I'd never been arrested before, mind you. I don't want to. I want to make this clear. I'm not somebody that's yeah, yeah. A, a frequenter of the county jail. I've never been arrested before in my life, and so. But this was a big one to go in there for. And I sit down on the bench, and there's this guy, and you could tell he was like an old biker guy or whatever. You know, probably had a little bit too much to drink, and he's like, uh, "Bench of shame, huh?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, guess you could say that." You know, because I'd always been told, you know, just don't talk, don't talk, just yeah, stay yeah. quiet, stay to yourself. So he says that, and they, they fingerprint us and <clears throat> excuse me, do all that good stuff, take us to the holding room, and he sits by me, and he's like talking, 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 and then they come to see the magistrate. Well, I already knew that with my charge, a magistrate couldn't grant me bond. I had to go in front of the circuit court. Well, they take me, another younger kid, that guy, all to the room. Now, we're handcuffed, wrist to wrist, ankle to ankle, having to shimmy down the hall and one by one, my last name is Williamson, so I'm always going to be last in <clears throat> everything they call. The first kid was like possession of marijuana. You know, PR bond, he goes. That was DUI, second offense. You'll have to get somebody to bail you out. Yada, yada. Saying, Mr. Williamson, you'll be in charge of murder and a violent crime. And when that guy, when he said that, the guy that I've been talking to this whole time, he's just like, <laughs> and he just kind of starts scooting down away. So I was like, you know, yes, sir. I know I have to see the circuit court. 
We go back into the room. He immediately comes straight in, picks the stuff where it was at, goes to the opposite corner of the room. Don't say nothing else. Tell me the rest of the time. That's funny. Yeah. So I was like, well, at least I can get some little peace and quiet here. Yeah. But that didn't last very much long either. Because this is like the holding tank, you know, as people are getting arrested. Everybody goes into this tank until it starts to get full. And then they'll start dispersing you out into the, the pods of the prison. But I knew I had court the next morning at 9 a.m. So I'm still in street clothes. And we have court, 9 a.m. They come and get me. And I'm in a room with all, like, people that have been there for a while. One guy had just set his sister on fire. He's waiting to see the circuit court judge. Um, and that's the thing is, like, you have to see the circuit court. The circuit court rotates throughout the county. So if I'd have went in there and they would have been in another county, say Dorchester County, I'd have had to wait till they rolled back around to my county, which was Berkeley County. Luckily. They were in Berkeley County that week, so I didn't have to wait. I was able to literally go to court for it the next day. So I caught a break on that. He's in there, like I said, he set his sister on fire. He comes back in happy, smiling, because he only got 14 years because he could have got 30. Another guy's in there saying how he's going to go to Atlanta to – he's going to tell the cops he's going to testify against somebody to get him locked up, but he's really going to Atlanta because Atlanta's prison's got better food. And he'll get better food for a couple weeks because the prison food where I guess we were at here was horrible. One other guy's in there talking about hey, if he sees another guy and so-and-so in the court, he's going to kill him right there. I mean, I'm listening to all this being said, and I'm just like, geez, I'm saying to myself, like, so Jesus I'm surrounded Christ. by some real fucking derelicts. Yeah, yeah, like these are some real fucking dudes. Like there, there's no bullshit in here. And I'm just sitting there, and, one of, and I was like, like, I hope nobody asked me like what I'm in here for. And sure enough, one of them was like, you know, what you in here for, family court? And Because uh, they were all in like the jumpsuits, and I'm in regular street clothes. Right. So I'm in like, yeah, something like that. And then one guy I knew, he was like, you're the kid from Cane Bay. And I'm just like, I kind of looked at him, I was like, yeah. He's like, we got TVs in here. We see the news just like everybody else. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. He's like, you got a lawyer? And I said, yeah. And they was like, who? And I say, Andy Savage, he was like, mm, you all right. And again, it's the first time I'd ever met this dude. I never needed a lawyer before, but everybody knows this guy's name. Yeah. So we go in there. They finally call me up. I'm in there for, God, what seemed like an hour. And the walk from the county lockup where you're at in the holding to get to the courtroom is like underground, like a dungeon. So, I mean, like we're walking through there, and I'm just like, every horror movie's playing in my head, like, doom, doom. Yeah. I mean, it was just really, really scary looking. <clears throat> so we get over there. We go in. Massive courtroom. I mean, huge flags, everything. The courtroom's packed full of people. I've just never been anything like this in my life. So I go, shoot me over to my lawyer, their lawyer for the state's arguing that I shouldn't be given bond, that I'm a danger to the community, yada, yada, yada. My lawyer's saying, look, this guy's never been in trouble. He's had a good job. He's an upstanding member of his own community. Everybody knows him. You know, so they fight back and forth. Well, any court show that I've ever seen, when a judge makes a ruling, she makes it right then. You know, either bond granted or bond denied. Right. So I'm waiting, and she goes, okay, I'll make my decision and let you guys know. Bam! And hits the gavel. And I'm just like, well, that's not what I was planning on. So I'm, I looked at my lawyer, I was like, what the fuck does that mean? He's like, I guess that means she'll let us know. Yeah. So they're automatically like taking me off. You know, I'm looking back kind of like, you know, whisper mouthing to my family. You know, I love y'all. I've seen all them in the back. So they're taking me back to the room and you got to get on this thing where they, you know, rearrange your cuffs and put it back like you were. And 
I asked the guy, I was like, so what does that mean? She'll get back with me. Like, what does that mean exactly? And he's like, ah, oh, she'll probably have you an answer in a week or so. And I'm like, a week or so? What the fuck? <laughs> so we get back in and I'm just like, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I thought they were supposed to give you an answer right then. So I called my wife on the phone uh, after about an hour or two from jail. And I was just like, all right, what the fuck is going on? And she said, well, she's already made her decision. She's going to give you bond. She's like, but they might not process the paperwork until tomorrow. So you might have to stay in there another night. And I'm just like, all right, well, if I got to, I can do another night. I didn't really sleep much anyway. And uh, so I was like, all right, I can do another night if need be. She said, but you may still get out. I don't know. I was like, all right. So this is like three, four in the afternoon, like nine. And people are still getting out throughout yeah. this time. It, that paperwork process takes a while. So seven, eight, nine o'clock, people are still getting out. Hey, you going home? Hey, you going home? But you're pretty much thinking I'm staying the night. I, I, was, I was hoping, but I was planning on staying the night. But I just figured nobody would come for me if I wasn't getting out. Because, you know, when they come, it's usually say, hey, you're getting out. Yeah. So about 9.30, I'm they up on They don't come in to say, we're just checking on yeah. you. Yeah. Just making sure you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in a good space. <laughs> yeah. Room service, anything? Yeah. They're not so, real concerned about you. So, no. And the, the guy, and I'll, I'll mention this really quick. The guy, the, um, the biker guy was in there. I swore I thought this dude was going to die right there in the cell. He had asthma. And they refused to give him his inhaler. And this dude, I mean, he looked like he was trying to breathe air through a flattened straw. Yeah. I mean, and every time he would ask about it, they would say, okay, we'll look into it. We'll let you know. I well, was they'll let like, you die. Yeah. I was like, this I've dude is going that, to fucking die if they don't give him something. Yeah. You, you've seen people as that's happened to? From exactly that. Uh, um, uh, asthma. They wouldn't give him his inhaler. They said, oh, the next day, it'll be tomorrow. He's like, no, you don't understand. I, I, I'm not a, whatever, there's different classifications. He's yeah. like, if I don't have it, I'll die. They were like, yeah, well, I don't know what you want me to tell you. Go, go, go back to your fucking cell. Like, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. And then, sure enough, that night, he died. Wow. Woke up the next day, dead. Yeah. I guess he didn't wake up the next day, dead. Yeah. His cellie woke up the next day, and he was dead. Wow. That's crazy. But, yeah, so 10 o'clock, 9.30, 10 o'clock, they open up the door, Williamson. So I'm, like, fucking stoked. I'm like, shit, they got it done. I'm out of here. I hop down. Get there, and as crazy as it is, the guy looked at me, and he's like, you're Leah's dad, right? And Leah's my stepdaughter. And I'm just like, yeah. And he's like, my wife used to train her for gymnastics. And I was like, oh, how you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm mean, glad we could catch up. Yeah, fancy meeting you here. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm getting out of here. And he's like, no, we got to transfer you. And I'm like, transfer me? Where? And he's like, to the pod. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be getting out, like, in the morning. Like, I've already got bond. He's like. Doesn't matter. He's like, it just goes by the order of who was here. He's like, you're the next one to go. And I'm just like, well, son of a bitch. So they take me, they swap me out, they give me the jumpsuit, flip flops, the, you know, little bag, cup, three in one body wash, shampoo, conditioner, toothbrush, roll of toilet yeah. paper, and send you in. So you go in, and the, the one I was in, it was like a big open area room with like those chairs that everything on it are round. There's no sharp points on them chairs yeah. at all and a TV, and then you got a bottom floor and a top floor. Yeah. Well, then when you go in there, it's basically like just an open dorm. There's there's bunks in there, but it's just open from one end of the wall to the other. So a lot of people in here. So I'm walking. I'm like, all right, well, I'm probably not going to find a bottom bunk. Walk to one end, come back, and then I see the guy that set his sister on fire and kind of <laughs> like waves kind of waves at me, and I'm just like, hey, I was like, care if I get up there? He's like, nah, man, go ahead. So I hop up there, and, you know, still at this point, I'm just like, Jesus, I can't. I'm staring at the ceiling. I was like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything from the training they give you for your CWP 
by the letter of the law, by castle law, like I've done everything by the letter of the law, and I'm still in here, and it was blowing my fucking mind. And, you know, I would talk a little bit. One guy come up to me, I guess he was kind of like the one of the top orderlies or something. He's like, do you need a job? And I was like, all right, hope, no, wait a minute. But I'm not going to be here yeah, long enough for a job. Yeah, and that's when I was like, nah. He's like, oh, you bonding out? And I said, yeah, I'm supposed to get out of here tomorrow. And he was like, all right, well, you know, if you don't, if you ain't getting out that quick, don't worry about it. Well, then somebody else, I guess they knew the guy that knew what I was in there for. Yeah, that'll said, spread everywhere. Everybody will, within two days, everybody, yeah. 150 guys, all, every one of them knows. Yeah, well, they knew that night. And the one guy, he was like, he said, man, let me ask you something. He's like, uh, you said you didn't need no job. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you're bonding out tomorrow. He's like, what fucking lawyer you got? He's like, I need him. And I was just like, Andy Savage. He's like, ah, oh, okay, I understand. That just kept coming up throughout there. And I am I am heavily tattooed. I got a lot of tattoos on my arms and stuff. And the guys were noticing that in there. And they asked me who my tattoo artist was. And he was a local guy with, like, everybody in there knew him. And he was like, oh, I know Eric. So it was kind of like that was like, a, I guess, my end they didn't right. mess with me, you know, or treat me like, you know, any other, any type of way. And so I'm not going to say it was like, obviously I'd have rather been in my own bed, but it wasn't like a bad experience. Yeah, like yeah. it wasn't like, you know, they were in there trying to fuck with you or anything like that. And I mean, that was pretty much it. You know, spent that night there, got out the next morning, immediately went home, took a shower. And there's a funny story about that too. That, that night I did decide to take a shower. And the guy, I didn't want to make it seem like I'd never been in there before. And the guy's like, he's like, uh, you know how to work the shower, right? He's like with a little thing in the back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I go in there and it's like a little, you push it and the thing only lasts for like five seconds. Yeah. But they have something to where they can jam in there yeah. to where it don't. Well, I couldn't figure out how they'd done it, but I'm not about to go out there and ask them. Yeah. So I have, I was having to take like miniature showers within five second increments to get somewhat clean. But I was just like, yeah, I'm not telling them that I don't know how to work this. I, everybody up in there assumed, I think, that I'd been in there before. And I didn't do anything to correct them on that either. I was just like, well, if they're going to was assume it, that, let me get out of here. So it was the push button, and they had they had a, a thing, a tab that you slept, you could, yeah, you could it was jam like it in there. Yeah, it was like a thin piece of plastic that you could jam in there, and it kept it from coming back. Yeah, because otherwise you hit it, and then it slowly slides yeah. back out. Yeah. Dude, dudes in prison, man, are some of the smartest cats you will ever run well, across. Listen, the necessity is the mother of invention. Like Exactly. You, those guys, like, if you'd been in a place where, like, you need to get, somebody wants some coffee, five cells down and you're all locked up man they start they tie they'll take their thread and pull, make a thread and t take some something heavy and shoot it down there it'll bounce off the wall and the next guy will get it and he'll slide it down next thing you know that you then you're you've got a string back and forth and they're pulling fucking little bags of coffee back and forth each it's insane you're like who thought that up like it's 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 ridiculous yeah, the one dude he said he didn't like the cold air blowing on him so he would wet like toilet paper and throw it up to block the cold air yeah, I mean, it was just... Yeah, CEOs so was, get pissed. They come in, they, they, gotta, they get it down, they yell at you, <laughs> tear your bed apart, and you'll just rebuild. <laughs> it's just what we do. So, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, that was the, the extent of the experience. You know, it wasn't bad. It wasn't, you know, anything like the... People, I guess, think the worst-case scenario it wasn't that, but granted, I was only in there a couple of days, so thankfully I didn't have to put any more experience in that than, than I had to. But I got out, and then immediately then, you know, the lawyer's like, all right, you know, here's what we got. We're going to plan a, uh, a preliminary hearing for you. And this took place in July, so a couple months after. You still working? You're still going to work? Well, no, yeah, I guess I should cover that. I, I get out because um, I'm only in jail. Like I said, I check myself in Sunday. I get out Tuesday morning. 
I go to work and I tell them like, Hey, I'm not going to need to miss work. I'm coming back. But obviously they know what's going on. Yeah. And so I go out there and he was like, all right, well come over and uh, go to the GM's office. So when he said that, I'm like, Oh boy. Uh-huh. So we go to the GM's office and it was like my boss in my department, the, the GM of that new core. And he sat down and he's like, all right, well, you know, what's going on exactly? And I told him everything. And he's like, well, you know, unfortunately, man, uh, we're going to have to let you go. And I was just like, what the fuck? I was like, after everything I just told you, he's like, yeah, I can't imagine the shoes you're in right now. And I'm like, well, imagine being fired on top of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're not helping out in a situation. I can promise you that. I'm like, I'm not going to need to miss work. Like, I'm out. I'm free to come to work. And they even blocked me from getting unemployment. They blocked me. They said it was conduct detrimental to Nucor's off-work conduct policy. They blocked me from even getting unemployment. I couldn't even get unemployment from when I, after I got fired. What if people that's some shit? Okay. But the silver lining to me getting fired was that then I could access the 401k right. that I had had built up. Yeah, but you would think like, I mean, after after they, well, anyway, let's keep, keep going. Let's, sorry. Yeah. Oh, there, there can be a lot said on that. I mean, I was just like, I know people that have worked there that have had charges that not necessarily maybe what I had, but were serious, like right. serious charges that never got anything done to him. And I'm just like, why wouldn't you let me keep working? Like, obviously if I'm found guilty, you're not going to have to worry about firing me. Right. Like, I'm not going to be back for a very long time. And, but for whatever reason, they just wanted to go ahead and, and get rid of me. And that's what they did. And so, like I said, with them fire me, it did open me up to be able to go into my 401k. Cause as long as you're employed there, other than it being, I think you can do a loan, but you can't withdraw, like make big withdrawals. Right. But, you know, you're going to have to pay your taxes. But after you no longer work there, you're free to do whatever. And so the, the prices for the lawyer was like 50000 to take the case, then like another ten or fifteen to start all the investigations and stuff like that. And that was just off the rip. So I go ahead. I pay that off in full. I think I finished paying off my car I had at the time, you know, maybe a little bit of credit card debt. That way I didn't have any debt. And it was just a house payment, normal bills, and my wife was still working. So we could we could manage if it was going to be a while before I could find another job because I didn't know what that was going to be like either. So I'm handling the lawyer situation, but I'm also trying to find a job. And I, I go to uh, Republic Services, which is like a trash uh, company. But so I'm a welder, so I was going to be at their facility where they would cut out panels that had been rusted out or dented in put in new ones and weld them up. It was good money, close to the house, good benefits. And I told the guy in the interview, I'm like, hey, this is what happened. He's like, when did all this happen? I'm like, you know, a week ago. He's like, oh, shit. And he's like, well, I took criminal justice in college. He said, don't sound like you have anything to worry about. And I was like, well, I'm cool. I'm just letting you know if I say, hey, I got to go for a court hearing, you know why. You know, or if you see something in the news, you know why. Because it was still in the news. Like when I got home from jail, there was two news stations sitting across from my house. I guess they knew I was getting out. So they were just waiting. So it was a big story, especially in that community. It's just one of the things where it just don't happen. Right. Especially in those communities. So everybody was on it. There was countless articles on it. Um, so when I come home, I was telling my wife, I'm like, I think I got a job. Well, when it run through corporate in Arizona and they run the background, it showed as a pending murder investigation. Right. And they called me and they rescinded the offer. Right. So I'm just like, well, fuck, there you go. I can't, I can't go anywhere that's going to run my background. Right. And I found a sign company that was hiring at the time. Um, because it was in such quick succession, I just told the guy, I didn't tell him I got fired. 
I told him that I wanted to be able to get off a night shift and be able to be more hands-on with my son, which it, which wasn't a lie. I did, but I just kind of got forced into that. Right. And so he didn't run my background. He hired me on the spot because he seen that I'd had a long work history. I was with them for like 15 years, you know, through two different comp or through different uh, two different branches, like seven and a half years in Columbia, another seven and a half years up here. So he hired me immediately, and I loved that job. It was fun. It was building signs. Like I had no idea there was much money in that. Like every business has to have some sort of signage. So right. those guys make bank, and so it was it was fun. And I'd done that for a little while. But after this preliminary hearing, we had nothing else. Nothing else happened. No other events. And in the preliminary hearing, you know, you can't divulge evidence in a preliminary hearing. So the only thing that can be presented is why you charge someone. Right. That's it. And she wasn't giving any reason of why she charged me. And in the preliminary hearing, she lied like district, five different times. District attorney. No, this is the detective oh, over okay. my case. It was a female. She lied five times in the preliminary hearing. Like that we can document, not just I'm saying, well, that's a lie. Like right. she said that there was a, a, case, a point one time to where me and my wife were, you know, fighting a little bit. And they said that there was a report wrote up to where she said that he answered the door and he was holding a gun and a knife. I'm just like, well, how does somebody answer a door holding a gun and a knife? Mm -hmm. What was in the report was that my wife came over and she said there was a gun on the table. Now, this is before everything happened. Right. But there was usually a gun somewhere around close. Like, I'm a gun enthusiast. I have a lot of guns. I've got right. 38s, 9 millimeters, SKSs. I mean, But they only mentioned the knife. Yeah. Well, she so said, the report only mentioned the knife. Well, she said gun and a knife. In lieu of I was holding them. Like, right. I, like I answered the door holding a gun and a knife. I was like, how the fuck do you answer a door holding a gun and a knife? Then there was other reports to where uh, the guy had, it was come out later that he was on steroids. He actually took steroids that night. He took two vials of, I don't know, whatever you call it. I'm not into steroids, obviously, as you can tell by his physique. But he took two vials of something. Well, they collected those vials from the house where my wife was staying at. Well, she said, we only collected one vial. It's in her report that she wrote that she collected two vials. Right. So minuscule, but it's still a lie. She said that he was really distraught after this happened, that he locked himself out of the house when he come outside for the arresting officer to, or for the first officer on scene. That never happened. The door was open. Right. I don't know. It was almost like she was just fabricating little things to make it seem worse. Then she said, uh, you know, my lawyer was like, well, have you ever known him? or any reports to him being a violent person? She said, yes. And he was like, what? Yeah, well, tell me. And he said he wasn't allowed to go to the school to pick up his child because he and his wife were having arguments and he was banned from going to the school. I was sitting there looking. I was like, she's a fucking liar. Like, this right. has never happened. We go and we interview the principal, and the principal was like, no. He's like, if anybody bans anyone from the school from coming and picking up someone, it's me. You know, nobody has that authority. And he's like, I don't even, he's like, I don't even know if I've ever met the man. He said, I've seen him, but we've never really formally met. And he said, I've never went and told him that he couldn't be here. And he right. said, if I'd done that, there would have to be some sort of documentation as to why and, you know, reasoning and, and stuff like that. 
So what it just, was. I was going to say, she just manufactured the whole thing? Well, not not quite, but what it was, there was a school resource officer that was there. And I guess in one of these times when me and my wife were arguing back and forth, I think it was over something about how much money we were going to be doing, child support. We were trying to figure out the logistics of it. This is before, obviously, the incident happened. Um, the resource officer overheard my wife and another lady talking. The resource officer went and wrote up something. My wife didn't even know because she spelled her name wrong on the report. And when my, I told my wife, about it, I'm like, did you fucking write a report on me? And she's like, no. We went and found out that it was her, that the school resource officer wrote the report, which even that didn't have anything in it saying that, you know, I was violent or anything like that. And what it was was it said that, you know, overheard her and her husband was arguing a possible situation that could come to the school. Like she was just basically doing as something to document that this is something that could happen down the road. Right. The detective took that and rolled with it and was like, he wasn't allowed to come to the school. Yeah. It doesn't say that at all. Yeah. It doesn't say that at all. And then we had to print. So like I said, it's like five or six things that she lied about by herself just in that. And I mean, I don't know, logistically, I don't, I don't know if that's considered a, a trial but like you can get in trouble for that for lying under oath yeah, but on a they don't. trial. Yeah, but, but they, they don't. They never do. Yeah, they never do. Well, one thing that I will circle back one 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 quick thing. There was like I said, I told you, I fired three shots. Two went through, one didn't. So obviously, if you got two exits, then you should find two bullets somewhere in the house. One struck the refrigerator, like I told you. The other one, they hit the water. Mm-hmm. I found that when I got out of prison or jail. All right. We had to call them to like, hey, we found a bullet like that. Obviously, y'all didn't find. So that was a real bad look for her. Right. Not finding that other bullet. And that was, I think, kind of like the first thing is, you know, how bad did you really botch this whole case? And after that, there was really no movement, man. Nothing like we got. So the, the preliminary, sorry, the preliminary hearing was held to see if the charges can hold up. And the judge could, at that time, say, you don't have enough. Mm -hmm. And she almost did. At the end of it, she said, there's really not a lot here. But she said, given the circumstances, I'll bind it to trial. And that's what my lawyer said. He's like, we were this close from getting it dropped right here. And that was it. Like I said, after we left there, we didn't hear. I mean, I kept getting reports in. We hired a forensics guy out of New York. His name is John Pellucci. He come down, and they basically set up, like if you see on CSI, like the beans. So he went yeah. to where the wall, back to the refrigerator, back to the corner. So it proved where I was standing, like scientifically proved that I was standing where I was standing. <clears throat> um, that was big. The angle of the bullets was coming into question because the pathologist had wrote in her uh, report that the angle of the bullet didn't line up to like how I said I was standing. And the reason for that is, is like one entry point was high, but the other one was a little bit lower. So they're like, you know, well, that doesn't make sense if y'all are in front of each other. Well, it does if the guy's bent forward. Exactly. That, that, if he's you. headed coming toward me. I'm assuming you're me. not a pathologist, but right. even you knew that. So, so if he's, he's tilted and coming toward you. Exactly. And the way she wrote it in the report was like, well, these stories don't line up. And another thing in the report, they said, well, he, um, he said there was a struggle in the beginning until the shooting happened, but we seen no signs of a struggle. So he went back and he looked at the first officer's body cam footage, and there was like a knocked-over shot glass on the floor, another knocked-over shot glass on the stove, 
and another like rocks glass, like almost like that coffee mug there without the handle, you know, that you drink whiskey out of. It was knocked over in the back corner. So obviously three knocked over glasses, you would think would be signs of a struggle. Right. And then another big reason was she said there was no back spatter on me. Now back spatter, even though it sounds like it would come out of the back, it's actually what comes back towards you yeah, when yeah. you shoot. So if I shoot you here, the back spatter would be what would fly back to me. And because there was none, they said that they questioned whether I was really in as close proximity as I was. But the thing is, he was wearing three layers of clothes. He was wearing three shirts. He was wearing like a T-shirt, a shirt over that, and then a long sleeve shirt over that. So the chances of you getting back spatter over three layer of clothes is damn near non-existent. Right. And then at the end, it said he uh, claimed to do life-saving measures, but there was no sign of that either. He didn't have any blood on him from that either. And that's why I made that point earlier. I never seen blood. Right. Like there was not at one point this whole time while I'm on 911, while I'm sitting there with him, while I got the towel, I never seen blood. Right. Never and seen you did a drop put of the, it. You did put the towel on yeah, him like I you did. were told to do. Yeah. And I was, that's why I was thinking, I was like, how the hell do they think that towel got there? I mean, like when the guy comes in, it's, he's laying in the, in the kitchen and the, the towel's right there on him. Like there's nobody else in the house. I'm the only one that could have did it. And, you know, that was pretty much what they built their case on. And that was what our um, CSI guy basically debunked. Everything that they gave, he gave a reason to debunk it. And pretty much for four years almost, it, it nothing nothing happened with it. And a lot of that was due to COVID. Um, they did reach out to my lawyer and asked if they wanted to do a trial through Zoom. And he said, no, that's not how he works, which I was glad with that. He's a he's a theatrical guy. You know, right, he, right. He, he uses the courtroom as his stage. You know, his yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I was fine with that. And he, by this time I did land another job. Um, I, I stayed with the sign company for a while when COVID hit, um, they let a lot of people go. And then I found another job that I'm still at now that I love. I've, I've actually made my way up to supervisor now. Um, that guy knows about everything. He's from Texas. And the, the issue was with the sign places, I never told them. So get this we're I'm there like three months. I said, oh, we got a big uh, big job, a LED sign for a company. I was like, oh, really? Where is that? Nucor. That's mm. the place I used yeah, to yeah, work. Yeah. Everybody there knows. I'm like, oh, shit. I was like, do I need to go on this install? And they're like, no, nah, you don't need to go. I'm like, all right. Because, I mean, the dude was nice, but it's just like probably the type of guy to where if I told him exactly what happened, he's like, oh, well, well you know, we don't need you here. The job just got filled. And so I'm nervous as hell. And so they go out there, and sure enough, one of the guys they're talking to, he's like, oh, yeah, we got one of our guys at our shop that he used to work out here. What's his name? Wade. So my, my actual first name is Wade. He's like, Wade. Oh, yeah, I know him. You know, how's everything go? Did he beat that case? What case? Well, you know, he, he killed a guy. He was arrested for it. What? You serious? So then everybody knew, and everybody right. found out. Now, the owner never said anything to me, but I think by that time he had seen that I was a good worker, that I wasn't a – you know, a deviant or anything like right. that. You know, a bad guy always come to work. I was always cutting jokes, making people laugh. So he never said anything, but I know he knew because sometimes we would have to go on jobs where you would require to have your background run, like military bases and stuff like that. And when those jobs come up, I never got picked to go on those jobs. So right. it, he knew, he just didn't tell me he knew. Yeah. And then, like I said, when COVID hit, <clears throat> um, they let me go, and which they did quite a few people. And when I was at the job event, now I just went ahead and told him up front, I was like, look, dude, I damn near got an ulcer at my last job, not 
knowing like if he was going to find out what he right. was going to do, you know, if every day I was going to walk in, be like, why didn't you tell me this? I'm like, so I'm just telling you this right now up front. If you want me, this is what I got coming with me. You know, this is the baggage. And he's like, dude, I'm from Texas. He was like, you didn't do anything that I wouldn't have done. I'm just like, all right, cool. And so just doing that was like a, a weight off me, like a tremendous weight that he knew and I didn't have to worry about hiding anything. And, you know, I worked there and I still work there now. And in the process of the COVID, I started my own podcast, right. which we talked about earlier. You know, you were a guest on my show. And the reason, there's, I think there's no other quicker way to get somebody to learning about the law if you're in the middle of shit yeah. legally. And so immediately I go to, all right, wrongful conviction podcast. So I check out Central Park, Central Park Five, Rusperia, a, di- a bunch of different cases. That leads me to true crime. Then I'm like, all right, well, this is kind of cool. I'd never listened to podcasts before. Though. And then I just decided to do my own, and it kind of grew legs and, and took off. So, Because I'm a real social person. Like, I like to talk to people, and being on house arrest, that doesn't work very well. Right. You're stuck. But being able to do it through Zoom yeah. still gives me my availability to talk to people and talk to all different kinds of people and, and different subjects. And there come to a point where I had to go to New York. So I called my lawyer and I'm like, look, we ain't heard nothing from these guys from years. Like, I think one thing, they did have a prosecutor that was over my case. He left. So they hired a new person. It was a woman. She only stayed for like six months. Then she left. Then they had a newer guy in there. So there was that. The man delayed it a little bit. But he just told me, he was like, look, he said, if you're good, the more time that goes by, the better it is. Yeah. Because things get lost. People move. People die. You know, whatever a lot of shit can happen in there. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm happy. But when it got to the point where I needed to go to New York, I was just like, look, you know, it's, I'm getting kind of tired of this shit hanging over my head. Cause that's a heavy weight yeah. to not know if you're going to have to go to trial or jail for I mean, Cause that's essentially life, you know, 30 years at my age, that's pretty much life. Right. And I was like, you know, we got to tell them either, either shit or get off the pot here. So they gave me permission to go to New York in July. I went, I needed to go back in September to do another show with a guy up there. Went and done that. And then finally, this past November, the lawyer calls and he said, hey, what you doing? I'm like, I'm working, man. What you doing? He's like, just figured I'd call a free man. And I'm just like, are you serious? It's dropped. He said, yep, case dismissed. And what did it was after that second trip to New York, the new prosecutor or solicitor that was over there. I think, I think it's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. The new one agreed to have a meeting. He sent him an email. He's like, hey, we've been on this almost five years. He's like, here's where we're at. And he was like, I'll get familiar with it and get back to you. And so we had a meeting to where we all went to the police station. I kind of gave my story to him there. They played a PowerPoint, which is everything I was just explaining to you about you know, the knocked over glasses, they had it all highlighted. Right. Like they made it very easy for you to see what's going on. The forensics. The forensics and all that. Like we're gonna tear you yeah. apart in court. Yeah. And then they came to the house. So I had the the prosecutor solicitor come to the house with one of his other guys, a crime scene guy from the police. They all come to the house and seeing it in the in the picture in person paints a very good picture of how it went down. Because this is not a wide kitchen by any means. You're already in a compact area. So the fact that if somebody's laying stretched across the floor, if you stand them up, like their full body length, and he's maybe, I don't know, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, something like that, there's not a lot of room to be had. you know. Now, if you were f- laying up against the refrigerator, that's one thing. 
but he wasn't. He was still probably a good six inches to a foot away from it. So I think seeing that really put it in perspective for him that, like you said, if we go to court, we're going to get fucking annihilated. Right. And not long after that, they dropped it. And and I want to say hats off to that prosecutor for even doing that. Because, like, he even told me, he said, this is very rare. He said, most prosecutors don't do this. He said, so the fact that he's coming out here to do this is, you know, something special. He said, but at the same time, it's a risk because we're showing him everything we have. Yeah. So he can go and say, all right, well, they got this. We need to, you know, do whatever. But it, luckily, it all worked out. And finally, after four, it was like four years, nine months, it finally got dismissed at the basically the, the 31st of October. Nice. Nice. That's fucking, honestly, you'll probably die about five years earlier. Though. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Probably 10. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, and it doesn't even stop at me. My son, every grade he goes up. See, I don't know how it is here, but, like, we have schools in these communities. Yeah. All the insider schools there. So obviously you yeah, got Facebook right too. down the right down the street, yeah, you know, a block away. So you got that. Then you got Facebook and all these parents and everything. So like every year somebody goes, oh yeah, I know your your dad's the one that shot somebody. Yeah, and yeah. Every year he has to go through that. And there was a period of time. It was like a about halfway in between this. I own a Siberian Husky, and my neighbor has a uh, not my immediate neighbor, the neighbor of my neighbor had a pit bull. This dog was notorious for getting out and, like, biting people. Right. And I come home one day from work, and it had jumped the fence and, like, messed my pit bull up. Like, I mean, bad. Like, Your I had pit taken, bull? No, no, no. My, my husky. I'm sorry. Okay. The pit bull messed my husky up. So we had to take him to the doctor. Like, he wasn't in fear of dying, but he was messed up. He was bleeding from a lot of different places. I mean, it, it messed him up good. He couldn't walk for, like, two or three days. And so I was, like, super pissed. I was, like, she came over to the house and was, like, trying to apologize. I'm, like, I don't want to fucking talk to you. It it had already bit my son a year previous. Now, when I say bit, it was like a nip. Yeah, and but still. I, yeah, and I didn't say too much about it, but I did say he's not going to go back down there because it was a situation where they were playing basketball, and I was like, well, maybe the dog was just playing and it just, you know, bit a little too hard. But I just told him, I'm like, hey, don't go down there no more. But this was different. Like, this dog now had jumped in my yard and done this. So somehow or another, the news got wind of it. And they contacted me, and I was like, hey, we want to come out and do a report on this dog bite. And I'm just like, well, yeah, that's fine. And I was like, I said, but I don't want to be in the report. I was like, I wasn't home. My daughter was. She was the one that was there in the thick of it. If you want to talk to somebody, she'd be the one to talk to her. Just because I didn't want to put my face right. out there with something else. So they do that. The report gets done. And then some, uh, somebody on Facebook shares it. And then this lady comes on and she's like, well, I'm not sure how, but she said, I'm pretty sure this guy, this girl is related to the guy that shot a man in his house right? and got away with it. And somebody was like, well, how would you know that? She said, I'm a public defender for Berkeley County. She said, he shot the man in his house, claimed self-defense, but she said, there's a lot of evidence that doesn't support that. Then he went and hired the best attorney in Charleston to try to beat it. He said, I wish him luck, but the evidence isn't in his favor. This is on Facebook. <laughs> And she's a public defender. Like an asshole. Right. I'm just, and I didn't say anything. I'm, my, and my and fingers. certainly, you know, even as a public defendant, like, like the, the likelihood that she's actually gone down, looked at the case, like she may have been around the water cooler. Yeah. And the other public defender said, well, it doesn't look good for him. Yeah. Or some bullshit. But the fact that she went down, looked at the, looked at all the evidence and everything else, like that's highly unlikely. Yeah. And then later on, somebody even said, well, if this is your job and like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be on here putting shit like this on Facebook. Yeah. And she was like, 
Well, yeah, I may have said some things that probably shouldn't have been said on such a public forum, but I've had a few cocktails. It is what it is. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And <laughs> I can't it, say anything. It's, right. it's burning me up inside. I can't say anything. Right. I've had that's a few what, drinks, so I get to accuse someone of murder. That's what the lawyer told me. He's like, yeah. you cannot go at people on his Facebook. He's like, let them say what they're going to say. Yeah. They're going to say it. He said, if you go at them, it'll, it'll become worse. And he's like, just don't respond. So for four years, I never responded to anybody. And, and any time there's like a firework or, a gun, or somebody thinks it's a gunshot, we the neighborhood is backed up to some some open land. So there is hunting that goes on. Anytime anybody hears like a gunshot, for some reason, my name always gets brought up. Right. And it's a lot of people now are gone that were here then. So they're like, oh, there was a murder. What happened? And the, the situations that people come up with, Oh, a guy caught his wife in bed with another woman and he shot the guy. I'm just like, that is fabricated like, as fuck. Like, that's not even true. People are scumbags. I'm like, we were living in different houses. Like, why would I? It's, I mean, yeah. I was just like, uh, oh, it, it was so, so frustrating. But you and you and so she ends up, she moved back in. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're still together. Mm-hmm. Everything worked out. Still together, going strong. Um, you know, like I said, that the whole thing was, we were getting back together anyway. Yeah. Yeah. This was, that was the step. It just, this happened in the middle of it. So obviously, yeah, it kind of put a lot of pressure on us. And I mean, it still put a lot of pressure on us cause you know, it's, it's not been easy for me, man. I mean, it's a, you know, there's a depression aspect of it. There's a worry. I mean, it's basically like for four and a half years, I've ba- I contributed to saying if I went to see if I had cancer and I've been waiting to see the results for four and a half years. Right. Because essentially this would be terminal. Like I wouldn't get out of prison. And, and it's not like they even charged me with anything less. Like they went straight to murder, not involuntary or whatever. Another lawyer thought that they may probably try to plea it down because you can always go down. You just can't go up. Yeah. I, I assume that they would have come to you at some point and, and made some kind of offer like, Hey, manslaughter, um, you know, something like that, but they never even made an attempt. No. Well, I told him if they did, I was like, you tell them no fucking yeah, way. I'm going to trial. Like, you find me 12 people from South Carolina that disagree no. with what I did, then I guess I'll go away and, and have some free meals for a while, but I just don't think you can do it. No. Not with everything laid out there. And that's what people say, were you nervous? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm nervous because I'm in this situation. I was like, but as far as, like, the evidence speaking for itself, no, I'm not nervous. Like, I'm in a, a very unique position to where I don't need to lie about anything. Right. Like a lot of people probably have to maybe have to cover up stuff to, you know, maybe yeah. not they might've made or, one, one wrong step, yeah. but you're saying I didn't make any wrong steps. Yeah. I did everything yeah. that was correct. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong and, but still found myself in it. And that's what really opened my eyes to how much this happens because yeah. there's not a doubt in my mind. It's, it's not a racial issue. It's not a black or a white issue. It's a green issue. It's a money issue. And if I hadn't had the money, yeah. To go get a good attorney. There's no doubt in my mind you and me would not be having this conversation right now and I'd be behind bars. All right. There's not a doubt in my mind. It all boils down to money. Well, actually, I mean, we were just, we were actually talking. I was like, oh, a lot of times they'll charge you with this. And then eventually the more they'll let you worry and worry and worry. And then they'll come and they'll say, okay, let's do this. We'll, we'll let you charge to this. Even though you're not guilty of anything, mm-hmm. the fact is a lot of people say, you know what? I'll take the manslaughter charge. Why? Because I'm just too terrified of being found guilty of murder and going away for 30 years. Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and go for five years. It's already been a couple of years. So I'll go for five. I'll get out in four. It's fine. I don't think I did it, but I'm so scared. And they they bank on that. That's exact. You're exactly 100 percent right. They bank on that to get their conviction rates up, 
And essentially, that's all public defenders are anyway. They're plea deal brokers. Yeah. I mean, they try to get you plea deals. That they don't have the – and to defend them, too, they don't have the resources to help you like a paid lawyer will. Right. So that is their best way to help you is, oh, you're looking at 30 years. Well, I can get you a plea where you do seven or ten or whatever. Right. And that's what they – and that's how the prosecutors move up the ladder. I mean, that's their way – to climb up the the charts like you and I on YouTube, our way of climbing up the charts is getting good content, good guests, good good episodes that spread around and people watch your show. There's they want to put people in jail yeah. for life, and that's how they move up the ladder. And they don't give a shit if you're guilty or innocent. It doesn't matter. You know, it's even bait, uh, um, clickbait. Yeah. You know, think about it. Like I know that this sounds better. It's not really what you're about to watch. Yeah. But it, I know it'll get clicks. So I know it'll get a win. Oh, yeah. It's not quite there. And some people will watch the whole thing hoping that that's, that, that title is, in there, is in there somewhere. But that, then in the end, they watch an hour and a half thing, and it's not really what happened. But by that time, I got gotcha. you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so, so it's the same thing. Like they say, well, there, he answered the door with a knife and a gun. He, you know, in his hand. Or he this. Or the... The, the bullet trajectory doesn't doesn't line up with the story or well you know all that's not true mm-hmm. you know but I'm gonna say it because it'll keep it'll keep the charges solid it'll lead to maybe him getting us going to trial and maybe I'll get lucky and he'll take a plea you know so they do that and it you know well, the only problem is is that they're they're playing with people's lives and yeah. and yeah. you know right. and, and, and they I, the, I told my lawyer I was not taking a plea yeah and I'm they'll not. justify that to them that's what kills me about prosecutors it's like you're 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 actually like you you can you sleep like a baby at night like you did i steal some money yeah i stole some money did people get inconvenienced absolutely did people financially get harmed yes there were some people that lost five thousand dollars ten thousand dollars you know um did i ruin their lives no their lives aren't ruined but you get in front of the the judge and you say he ruined people's lives. He that like knowing that's a lie, mm-hmm. know it just to in, inflame the you know the the jury or the the judge and get them on their side. Like it's and then then somebody ends up getting twenty years for you know for something that really probably should have gotten a, a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Not in my case, but I mean, say right. like for drugs or something, you should have got a couple of years. You gave him twenty years. Because he pissed you off because he went to trial and didn't want to take the year or two. And you sleep like a baby at night. Like, you didn't save society. You just cost society half a million dollars mm-hmm. to incarcerate this person for 20 years. When the truth is, this guy was selling, you know, dime bags. And you treated him like he was a fucking kingpin. Because you're pissed that he didn't take the deal. Yeah. And so. that's that happens a lot, man. A lot more than people realize. And and once this happened to me, you know, I dove into, like I said, a lot of wrongful conviction cases and stuff like that. And since then, I've been able to have a few of those guys on my show, like Russ Faria. He had a show on, I think it was Hulu. It's on Peacock now, but it was called The Truth About Pam with Renee Zellweger. And basically, his wife was dying of cancer. She was like stage four cancer. She was literally going to be dead within a couple of months. Right. Like it was the last stages. And the lady that was a friend of his wife's named Pam killed her. Uh, forged insurance documents so she could get the money, but yet they pinned a murder on Russ, and he was in jail for three years before the truth finally came out. Whoa. Yeah. Crazy. And then I just got done an interview. Matter of fact, it come out on my show this week with Jeffrey Deskovic. Uh, I don't know if you know who he is or not. He's been on um, some other shows, but he was arrested at 16 for the rape and murder of a classmate. Everything 
about his confession. Everything was coerced. And he's done 16 years in prison before the Innocence Project got involved with him, and they found that he was not guilty, uh, and he got out. And since then, he's actually became a lawyer to help, you know, fight these things. And he actually, when I interviewed him on my show, he actually had the first guy since he became a lawyer. His foundation had gotten people out, but since he actually went and got his law degree, this was the first guy that he got out, and he was on the show, so... It, it happens a lot more than, than people think. And, you know, when you break down percentages, you're not like, oh, well, you know, something's bound to slip through the cracks. That That's not something that's supposed to happen when you're talking about people's lives. No, that's lives. not minor. That's not minor. No. And you and you're, I want to say the percentages are like 10 or, or 12% of people that are incarcerated or wrongfully incarcerated. Probably higher than that because they just took a deal, like you said, because they were scared. But it's like if I told you, oh, only 10% of planes fail, are you going to feel <laughs> the same about fucking flying? Like, no. I'm not, you no. know, I, I'm ner- even though the percentages of whatever plan are very low, I was nervous as hell flying down here last night. Like, I mean, it's just, you know, anytime you have to put your trust in the hands of someone else and they have a proven track record of not being able to, to handle it properly, it, it makes you nervous. Yeah. And that's kind of what I want to do with this now. I mean, you're actually the first show that I've been on that I've told the story to, and I want to, con- I want to tell it on other shows, but I want to get this word out there because I'm just not the guy that you think this happens to. Yeah. I'm not a career criminal. I've never been in trouble. I was a blue-collar, middle-America citizen who, yeah, I, didn't, I don't hunt, but I love guns, and I've had guns since I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And from South Carolina. Yeah. This was just something that happened, and because of short-sightedness from a detective who's actually not even a detective any longer, she got demoted all the way down to the prestigious role of a uh, security resource officer at an elementary school. Nice. Those so, kids will be safe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe somebody's fruit. She's roll probably, she's probably planting stuff in their, in yeah, their lockers right I'm, now. I'm sure they Get are up against the wall, Sally. Oh, and, and check this now. So the national championship game, which was a, a blowout, but the other, I'm, we got a Buffalo wild wings built like right at the back of our neighborhood. And I'm there with my son. And we're watching it, and I was kind of wanting TCU to win. He was wanting Georgia to win, you know, so he's giving me shit. And I see this woman walk in, and I was like, God, this woman looks familiar. It was her? And the guy walk in, it was her. The guy walks in, I'm just like, I know this guy too. And the more I got to look at I'm like, holy shit, it's her. And she sits down at the table, and there's like a whole group of kids come in that say something. They had a name on the back of all their shirts, but what it is, she's like leading those kids of trying to tell them, I guess what it takes to be an officer or whatever. I was like, I wanted so bad to stand up and be like, if y'all going to follow her, you need a different fucking line of work. Like, yeah. That's, that's not going to work. But yeah, it was her. And she seemed, she knew who I was. She kept looking. I told my son, I was like, tell me if she keeps looking back or he's like, Oh yeah. He said, she keeps looking. You didn't turn around and go. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, I started to buy her a drink. No, oh, really just, yeah, no, no, that would have been that would have played nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. Um, all right, so the channel's doing <laughs> the channel's doing all right. It is, man. It's doing great, and uh, you know, when like I said, I was thinking of doing like a, a crime based show, true crime show, but then I was like, dude, there's so many, you know, true crime shows, and to get do it well, there's a lot of research that goes in. Yeah, yeah. You know, get facts and stuff like that. So. I twisted it just a little bit, and I put that crime and entertainment right. on there. So when the entertainment portion kicks in, I can talk to anybody. So I've been able to talk to guys like you know actors like Tom Sizemore. Uh, I had Tommy Chong on the show, which was very cool. Uh, 
I mean, that's probably like the one time I was just like a little starstruck, you know. I was like, God, I watched you when I was a kid. So being able to talk to him for a couple hours, I just had a guy this, from The Godfather look, on. Connor doesn't know uh, who Tommy Chong is. Guarantee it. Half the people. Who, do you? I feel like I've heard the name of <laughs> <laughs> Listen, there's so many things that I'll be like, as we're talking, I'm thinking, he doesn't know who that is. Che- Cheech and Chong, they used to is do weed these, legal in Florida. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they used it? to do all these movies. This was back when like it was taboo and they would do these movies called like Up in Smoke or, you know, and then they would do these movies. And they were just two kind of stoner guys. I love the ones where they, they think they're Mexican and they throw them in the back. They get they They deport them to Mexico. And they're like, ah. I'm from Detroit. Like, what are you talking about? But they're stoned. They're like, hey, man, what are you talking about? Like, hey, I, I'm an American man. They're like, no, no. <laughs> but it's, they're, they're hilarious. The movies are hilarious. Probably yeah. funnier if you're stoned. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, but I don't know, even funnier as a kid when I was watching them because, like, I didn't even don't know if I necessarily knew what they were doing as a kid the first time I watched it. I didn't understand they were high. But it was just funny because, like, the car's, like, filled with smoke. And he's like, hey, how's my driving? And he's like, I think we're parked, man. And they're like on the side of the road in front of a sign. <laughs> and the cop comes up. He's like, where's your license? Ah, back there on the bumper, man. I mean, it, but having him on there was just really, really cool. Um, been able to talk to, you know, like as the actors from The Sopranos, that's like my favorite TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've got to talk with like four or five people from Sopranos. God, he fucking killed himself, right? Like uh, um, the the guy who plays Tony Soprano. No, he didn't kill himself. He just died. Heart attack. Oh, he just had a heart attack? Yeah. Oh, I thought he killed himself. I don't know why. Well, about he James died. Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, he had a heart attack okay, in Italy. I thought he killed himself. No, 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 no. He's been dead a couple of years now, but he uh, he just had a heart attack in Italy. I mean, his if you watch that show in progression, you could tell he, he did get bigger each season. Yeah. And I think it was just one of the things where he never kind of got it under control and he got a little bit bigger. And, yeah, he had a, a heart attack uh, in Italy. I'm pretty sure it was Italy. And... They his son was over there with him, I believe. But then you know they redone. They called it a was a many saints of Newark, and his son Michael plays a younger him okay. in the movie. So it's like everybody from Sopranos, but maybe in their twenties or something like that. And you know that's that was the basis of that movie. So you get all the same characters in there, but they're obviously just different people. But I thought that was kind of cool that he played his dad. Yeah, but. Yeah, All right, I mean, it's 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 been going very well. I had you know guests like you on there. Um, you know a lot of Tim McBride, who I know you've so interviewed. Tim McBride great. and can go forever. Yes, he'll I mean, go and go and go, and it's like yeah. Listen, Tim, like I have, <laughs> I appreciate this, but um, yeah, we were at like two hours forty five minutes, oh and he God. was just still going. I was like, like, cause like I, and, time, and then all of a sudden he says, and at this point, I started selling marijuana. <laughs> Tim. <laughs> What are you doing, bro? You know, and that's when I we started smuggling. Oh yeah. God, the yeah. smuggling story is another four hours. I don't like to keep people longer than an hour. You know, yeah. I'm like, I, you know, because some people don't even like sitting for longer than an hour. But there's some stories that just have to go. And I think one of the yeah, only he, other ones he's made a whole. Tim's made a. Tim don't have a job. Yeah, he got a whole career based on just you know I'll show up and I'll tell you my story and he tells it the same pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. He hits the points. He's got the you know. He he's uh, and he gets paid for speaking engagements for you know so, uh, but but uh, yeah he's 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 pretty good he's pretty good. Who else is like that? Oh, um, Mike uh, Mike Dowd. Yes. 
Have you talked to Mike Diles? I met Mike in New York. We went up there for uh, Anthony Ruggiano was having something at a studio in Long Island. And I met him. And we were actually supposed to do a show the weekend that I, my charges got dropped. I was actually, I had the flu. I was diagnosed with the flu. I was supposed to go back up there that weekend, and me and Dow were supposed to do a show in that same studio, but I had to cancel it. So we're gonna right. get it, we're gonna get it done at some Listen, point. But I met gets, him personally. He's got the second highest um, views on my channel. He was with, I think he was the first, like the first or second, I think it was the first interview I did, and the video itself, like Colby botched. Like there are times where like. 20 minutes in and then maybe another at uh, an hour in and like an hour and 10 minutes in where, where I'm doing this and it's doubt is talking and I'm not talking or doubt is talking and it's saying something else. Like it's like, he, he totally like, you know, Colby just, you know, botched the whole thing still got, cause it was the first time we were doing it. Yeah. And what we were doing was we had two cameras, but we didn't have the switcher yet. So he was there, and he took it, and when he stacked the video, something happened. Oh, plus the cameras we had were, like, shutting off. Oh, boy. I mean, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a fucking train wreck, bro, yeah. right? Because I had the old cameras that shut off at, like, 25 minutes or yeah. 22 minutes. You know, I, now we got these. I got these things, and they, they don't. Actually, this one overheats sometimes. But um, for the most part, they're great. Uh, but, yeah, but still, he, he, he was great. He was great, and I didn't even know his whole story. Wow! Because I knew parts of the story, um, and and then later I was like, I should have watched the whole thing because he missed. He he always skips the part where he was supposed to kidnap this person. Yeah, like he skips that whole part, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, you know. And then I went to jail. If I had known better, I'd be like, Wait a second, <laughs> you skipped the fucking kidnapping. <laughs> ah, that <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Um. Uh, but he's he's a character. It's funny too because I've always been like, is he coked up? Like he's so animated, no, but he's just wired, man. Everybody That's just says who he that. Is. That's just That's how he is, he bro. Is. He's just jacked up all the time. Well, you can imagine when he was doing it. Oh God! Like like he said, I don't know. Have you watched the whole documentary since then? Since then, yes. But so he said he just like pulls in his Corvette in the damn Chiefs parking spot. I mean, like yeah, he's I a can maniac. see him doing that. He's a maniac. You know what's so funny is you'll talk to like I have a cousin who's. Um, a meth addict, right? And there are some people, like if I drink coffee, like I can't go to bed. Like I can go upstairs. If I drink a cup of coffee, I can't go upstairs and have and go to sleep. My, But because my cousin's uh, like a meth addict and he's just, his chemically, he's just, he's just wired different. He'll drink two cups of coffee and it puts him to sleep. Wow. And it's like, what? And a lot of these guys are like this. So I was wondering, like if this is, if this is Dowd normal, What's he like on Coke? He may be like drowsy, like falling asleep yeah. and totally like calm, like you're talking to an accountant or something instead of this maniac. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I've had some great ones. Listen, you know what? You know what? Another podcast I had was a guy named Walt Pavlo. Did you? You weren't here yet with Walt. This was at the old house, at the old place, the old house. I'm gonna say the studio. It was really my apartment. So at the old studio. And Walt, we had a conversation, and I knew a little bit about Walt's. Like he was a part of MCI, he worked for MCI, and and I thought, okay, so you fudged some numbers, no big deal. And you know, that's it's like I had heard bits and pieces of the story, but it was so such a boring story. I never followed. I never really watched the whole thing. Right. right. Then he came and he told the story, and as the story progressed, I was like, <laughs> look. You did what? Like he's literally 
He's working deals with people that owe money, like give me a million dollars. I'll get your credit line shut, turned back on. You can borrow this much. You, you can then run it up to this much money. Close it down. Send me the million offshore. He's got like six or seven million stacked offshore. Like he's running a whole scam on MCI while they're melting down. He's taking, and I was like, listen, in the middle of that thing, I remember looking at him going, you know, bro, I have like, this is horrible, but I have like a newfound respect for you. Like, <laughs> I thought he was just like some CPA, like cooking the books. Yeah. No, bro, you're running this massive. He didn't steal a little bit of mil- money. It's millions and millions yeah. offshore, hidden accounts. It was like, this is brilliant. Like, it's horrible, horrible. I mean, I feel bad. Yeah, I feel bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but well, yeah, he was, it was. Tommy, um, you know, Tommy got locked up. Speaking of Tommy Chong, he got locked up for a little while when he had his bond company, and it was when Biden and Obama was in administration. There was something that they were trying to get him on of selling paraphernalia across state lines or something along those lines. I forgot the specifics, but basically, he copped to the charge. Got like six months in prison if they would leave his family alone because they basically said they they wanted him. He was right. the name, and when he went in there, he whatever. Prison. It wasn't a prison. It was more of a, a like a camp. Thing. It was a camp. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was in there with Jordan Belford. Yeah, yeah. He con- Belford says he convinced me to write my story. Yeah, and that's what he told him. He's like, you know, he said I believe in something called the most of, and he said Jordan was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, man, whatever it is. He's like, it's the most of. He's like, if you're the, if you were high, you're the most high you've ever been in your fucking life. If you were going fast, that was the fastest you've ever drove in your life. And then I'm just like, I remember in bits and pieces of the Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm like, well, he took that to the letter. Cause yeah, like did. everything in there was the most of. Yeah. But yeah. I thought that was cool. And he said they were, they couldn't hang around each other cause they're both like convicted fellows. But he said he would stop at the street and he would step out and they would like yell at each other from the porch. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, all right. I mean, we're, we're good. You feel, you feel, yeah. Got anything else? No? I mean, I, I guess the biggest thing is, you know, people, when you see something on TV, if you see, because I'll even admit I was like this. When you see something, they made an arrest. I was like, well, damn, he must have did it. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. It, was just, it was just how I was, my mode of thinking at the time. Now, no, not no. so much. No, listen, what about Law and Order? Like, I used to watch Law and Order, and, like, there were times when McCoy, McCoy was the, the, the district attorney. So, McCoy, you don't know what Law and Order, don't you? You've heard of it? Unbelievable. Well, longest running fucking program ever. So <laughs> anyway, like multiple series, uh, spinoffs, everything. Anyway, McCoy would find out in the middle of something of the investigation, and he'd tr- he'd tr- he'd he'd uh, he'd charge this guy. In the middle of it, something would happen, and he would go, "Oh my god!" Like he's not guilty. And then they would be like, "Quick, where is he?" Well, he's in he's in Rikers right now. Call the warden. We gotta get him out. Like, like he's a fit. Like, oh my god, I sent the wrong man to jail. We have to get this. Listen, in real life, they go, shh, 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 shh. don't say anything, bro. We got a conviction. He's in jail. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, like we're good. Let like, go. yeah, that like, like it's fine. It's fine. He had his day in court. It says he's guilty. Yeah, but you know now. I don't know anything. That could mean anything. I don't know. Like suddenly, it's like, are you fucking serious? You know the guy's innocent. In the movies, they're offended because they want prosecutors want to do the right thing, mm-hmm. right? But in real, you know, I mean, I mean, that's in the movies. But in you know, in real life, a lot of times they want a conviction. Like, I don't really think this guy probably murdered him. He maybe, maybe it's 
you know, manslaughter. Um, but I think I can get him for murder. Okay, well, yeah. well, wait a second. Like, that's you just said. Well, yeah, but if I twist it this way and do this, and I know I, I think I can get that guy down the street to say this. I think he'll say that if I push him. Mm-hmm. I think I can convince the jury. It's like, what are you doing? This is, this is no. There's no nothing here. There's not even this. You know, or they overreach. Casey Anthony, mm-hmm. murder. Okay, but you can't prove murder. Why don't you leave um, manslaughter on the table? No, we'll pull it, and we'll force them to convict her of murder because they have to charge her with something. Yeah. Well, guess what? They don't charge her. They say, nah, I don't see murder. Maybe manslaughter. We're not going to charge her. But there is no manslaughter. They took it off the table. So mm-hmm. do you, So is she guilty? No, not a murder. Boom, she goes free. So, you know, pe- people don't realize the games they play, and sometimes it works to their advantage, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes guilty people go free, and sometimes innocent people end up getting fucking 25 or 30 years. Yeah. I mean, in, in researching this, I find out it happens a lot. You know, and like I said, a lot of it, like we mentioned earlier, boils down to who you can have as a lawyer. Um, and even sometimes a good lawyer can help. I mean, Casey Anthony's lawyer, at least, I don't know how well he was known at the time. I know no, he's big shit now. But he <laughs> but he was amazing. And then he got off, um, what was the football player? Hernandez. Hernandez. Got yeah. Hernandez. I mean, Hernandez killed himself because of the second case right. or whatever that may have but happened. the other one, he got him off on the he second. Never got him off on that case. Like, it was insane. It's like, wow, this guy. Even Casey Anthony's, the fact that he got her off yeah, that's, was insane. Yeah. That was insane. Matter of fact, his name got brought up whenever when somebody was saying we were talking about Jose Bio. Jose is it Baez? Bio? Oh, Baez. It might be Baez. I can't remember. Jose something Spanish. Yeah, and I was just like, oh shit. I was like, yeah, I'll stick to local guys. Yeah, but I mean, plus you had not that it couldn't have gone bad, but honestly, you you had a solid like 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 and probably which is probably a mistake on your part is you you're like I'm innocent. Which may or may not have meant anything. Yeah. But the fact is, is that, you know, so one, you had, hey, one, I'm innocent. And two, you're thinking, like, this should be a slam. If I do go to trial, like, it could go either way, but it's lean. Like, I know I haven't done anything. Well, what we were thinking of or what we were going to make a motion for is what was called a Duncan hearing. And that's basically a, a plea of self-defense and castle law. Now, that wouldn't be the trial. That would be us. So at that point in time, we have the burden of proof on us right. to prove that we acted in self-defense. If they would say, okay, well, no, we don't see self-defense, you know, denied or whatever, then we would have to go to trial. Then the burden of proof gets flipped to the state to prove that I've done this or, or whatever. And I'm just like, even from the start, from the first piece of the conversation, like I don't reach out to that guy. He reached out to me. Yeah. Like murder is premeditated murder. Like at no point in that time that I have time to think or plan any of this. I was at home in bed watching the UFC. I mean, so all of it was there. They, they took my phone. They took his phones. All of it was there. So they had it all. They knew it. I think it was my opinion at the end of the day, a rookie cop rushed it or not rookie. I shouldn't say rookie, but newly promoted to detective rushed to judgment. And in doing so, it cost me, you know, probably up by the time it was all said and done, because I had to pay for that forensics guy to come down. We had to pay. He flew down twice. Um, it's probably going to be close to like $100,000 that I've been out of just to prove that I'm innocent and offer them to just drop the charges. We didn't even have to do the Duncan hearing. They just dropped it. And to me, that's basically saying, my bad, we fucked up. I just wonder how many elementary 
children right now are having drugs planted in their lockers the, from this woman. The incarceration rate in the, <laughs> the local, local juvenile facilities is going to be going through the roof here. Skyrocketed. <laughs> um, all right. We're good? Yes, sir. We're good, man. Appreciate it. No, I, I appreciate you flying down. I appreciate you coming and doing it in person. And, yeah. and um, that's, what, that's what I want to do. And, and I want to get on a few more shows and just, just spread the word about this because we mentioned earlier, you know, this this you wouldn't expect a guy like me to be involved in something like this. You would think it was clear. Can anybody that I ever told the story to was, Oh, well that's self-defense. Yeah. Most sane people think that, but I guess some people didn't, yeah. but you know, it, it does depend a lot on the lawyer and there's insurances that protect you from certain things like that. I need to get up with them. I need to be their spokesperson. I need to be like, dude, you let me go in at a seminar. You're trying to sell this insurance. I'll tell them how much money they can save because it happened. Yeah. And basically it's like, if you pay, I think it's like, we'll just say 20 bucks or whatever. You get like $50,000 worth of coverage. And if you're found not guilty, then you get, you know, everything's paid for. It's like carry guard or USAA, but it protects you in these situations. Yeah. So if you use your weapon and then you get charged, they cover all the expenses. Kind of like out. I do for a, the home title lock. Yeah. It's like a little spokesperson. Hey, if you like the video, do me a favor and hit the subscribe button. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Share the video to all your friends and family. Also, do me a favor and leave me a comment. Like the video. Leave me a comment in the comment section because I kind of box that, but that's fine. Uh, leave me a comment in the comment section. I will respond to, I'm going to go with 80 to 90% of the comments. Some of them are just, there's just no reason to respond. Um, also, uh, you can, if you like the video, you can thank Oh, sorry, I think I spit on you. Thank me. You can thank me by hitting the thank you button and it allows you to donate like $1.99 or $4.99, whatever. Those are awesome. I appreciate that. I also have Patreon. This is the whole pitch. So I also have Patreon. Also, uh, in the description, we're going to leave the, the, um, the link for Chip's YouTube channel, Crime and Entertainment. And... Also, if you like true crime, I've got like six or seven books. Uh, the links will also be in the description box. And uh, yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you very much. And see you.